Can I ask you a question? You only got into minute. You didn't even get points. Uh, <laughs> 140. The arse. No way you're at 140 IQ. Off the ball. Weekdays from 7pm on OTB Sports Radio. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, all right. We're back where we are. Back where we always were. Our Manchester United going to be in the red. Am I going to spoil things? I don't think I need to spoil things. Um, but if you're interested in the Gillette Labs performance rankings, we put a box up on Instagram on a Sunday night and you can uh, enter there. Or this morning, you can just uh, get straight into our comments and let us know what you think about all of the weekend sport that you might have seen. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number, of course. Uh, you can get us at Off The Ball AM. Johnny Ward is with us this morning. Johnny. Good morning, Ger. How are you getting on? How was your weekend? The weekend was eventful. Um, I have to make an apology to everyone on Off The Ball for my, sl- my sluggish performance on Saturday. I was working remote because I am in that time in my life, Ger, where um, every other day you seem to be talking about or going to a 40th. Um, so my friend Porig's having his 40th in Galway on Saturday I said I'd make the effort to go down but that meant working remotely and off the ball and off the ball being the lovely people that they are I said that's fine they didn't reckon with the fact that between the lovely Woodlawn and the Timon in uh, South Galway the train hit a cow oh yeah okay I saw you I saw you uh, the picture of the dead cow and, probably and shouldn't have put that on Instagram but I mean if you eat meat you know you know, whatever. Like, what was your what was your line? What was your carefree line? Ah, train moves on as does as life. Does life not for the cow? And part of me was, part of me was thinking um, there were there were. It was a very interesting train ride. An interesting train ride back yesterday because the Ballinasloe Fair was on, and there were a load of rowdy people who were going to the fair. They were getting ready for the weekend. They just got off at Ballinasloe, and then we went into Woodlawn. And then I was, you know, anxiously waiting the show to start. And then there was this kind of, not, not a thud, but it sounded like a slight contact. And then it sounded like there was all this gravel under the train or something. Um, and I was thinking, this probably isn't great for whatever it hit or my chance of getting on the radio at three o'clock. And then we, we were stalled for two hours. And unfortunately, the stricken animal was right under me. And me being of the era that uh, I'm, I'm living in, obviously took a video and put it up on Instagram, but um, strange experience, and I missed half of the show, and I felt like I let off the ball down, so here I am, I'm back. Right. Yeah. Wow. But the rest of the weekend then was, went to the 40th. Um, that put you in the mood, all right? Discussed my, <laughs> discussed my ageing process with the 40-year-olds. Um, went to a gig last night, um, and ham sandwich. Oh, yeah. Um, who are 20 years together. Are they 20 years together? Wow. 20 years together. And uh, in fairness, Adrian Taff, my good friend from LMFM, does the Yellow ITV commentaries, got, brought me along. And a guy came up to me and he said he was 40 years of age today. I just like to give Another him a Another 40-year-old. Wow, Andy Warner. He said, he said, I'm a big fan of Off the Ball. Big fan of Jer. He oh, actually right. did say that. I was like, Jer? Yeah, no, no Jer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he really likes you. He likes good, you, Jer. And he's 40 Andy. today, Andy. Yeah. The rest of the weekend was going to my sister, uh, her game in the Galway Intermediate uh, semi-final. They lost by... Gaelic football, is it? Gaelic football. They lost by points to Anna Down. Um, St. Brendan's were playing... uh, They were under the cosh in the first half. The the management moved her back to mark one of their better players. Um, So she was kind of taken out of the game. She played very well, but they lost agonisingly by a point and she was only coming back from injury. Um, So because of all of that... I watched Man City, Man United on match of the day, kind of like the old days, although I did know the score. Yeah, 
Um, that was my weekend. Hard to avoid the score when it's as uh, titanic an outcome as it was. Uh, Patrick McHugh says, United lose 6-3, Rashford chosen ahead of Ronaldo, McTominay chosen ahead of Casemiro. Today's OTB is going to be glorious. United are back, baby. They are back. Some might say they're back where they belong in the red. And the performance rankings, we're going to get to that in a moment. Jets are 2-2, two and two, with two comeback wins on the road. Tell Mike it feels like a winning season. That's a uh, shift, you lad. We've got Mike Carlson on. We're going to talk concussion because the uh, concussion... Uh, story. They found a scapegoat. They were really quick. They found a scapegoat in the NFL. Uh, so I don't know if you saw the Tua Tunga Viola uh, situation, uh, Johnny. He played last week and got what um, they said was a back injury, even though it looked to everybody watching like he'd been concussed. Got up, stumbled, got up again, fell, and then um, came back into the game last week and then started the game on Thursday. And lo and behold, he had a horrific tackle, totally legal, that slashed him to the ground, banged his head again, and immediately spasmed. And um, the whole world was like, oh, my God, this is horrific. What's going to happen here? And then um, the way concussion works in the NFL is that there's an independent doctor who, who says, OK, you can go back out or you can't go back Subsequently out. Subsequently sacked. Sacked by the NFLPA, the Players Association. So scapegoats found. Story's over. We can all move on with our lives. Nothing, nothing to see here. Like, yeah, uh, it was absolutely yeah. horrific, Ger. It was obviously a big weekend, a big week for concussion uh, in, in the narrative in rugby as well. Um, I think the NFL has probably... Um, I was reading Malachi Clarkins we started time Saturday he was writing that the NFL ha- has kind of set the agenda for other sports to sort of follow them this was horrific absolutely horrific and you know head contacts they've tried to ease it out of the game but um, this was awful to watch and I've no idea how they thought that sport was a bigger deal than looking after the player in this instance where clearly he should not have been playing yeah the thing is that finding the independent uh, neurologist um, as the scapegoat gives everybody else a free pass mm. it gives the players union a free pass but it gives the, the Miami Dolphins and the league a free pass so let's just wait and see exactly what comes of that and we'll get Mike Carson's thought on that and the weekend's football in about 15 minutes time uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effort that's finished today Jesus Johnny it's Monday it's depressing enough I think you're becoming a grumpy midlifer says Shifty Lads um, yes. yeah. yeah that's fair enough here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning, performance rankings are imminent. Mike Carlson, and I said in 20 minutes. Samuel Luckhurst, the Manchester Evening News, Chief Manchester United writer, 10 past 8. Sports pages at 8.35. Uh, Alan Quinn is going to join us in the studio at 8.50. Neda Manua is going to join us for the first time on the show at 10 past 9 to basically tell us just how amazing Manchester City are because there's not much else to talk about with Man City. It's like, um, that's pretty good. They're good at the football. And then we'll play some clips from the Sunday pay-per-view to play out this morning. But now, at 7.36, it's time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance was just lacked that intensity. We obviously use a traffic light system. Red, bad, amber... Not sure. Uh, could have could have gone either way. And then green is obviously good. Uh, Richard Redball says Man United won the second half three two. Surely enough to put them in the orange, Johnny. Surely, surely enough. To put them in the uh, unfortunately not. Um, where do we start here? You you start with I the. Start with, okay, I I was keen to put Liverpool in here as well because I think um, Manchester United came up against a force like in in Haaland that we've I don't know if we've ever seen this before. He's he's like. 
really good strikers essentially on steroids like as in and that I don't mean he's on drugs he's like a, he's a, he's just has everything metaphorically, metaphorically. Just, <clears throat> the lawyers were like what what did he say he's um, metaphorically you mean I so I watched Matt today last night just almost like not knowing when a rough idea of when the goals are going to come in but City had so many chances that a lot of um, a lot of the first half were spent like on, on things that didn't end up in a goal um, his his movement in the box uh, and his ability to create that little yard but he's also his general play yesterday setting up Foden for the goal little flick to Grealish in the first half um, it's amazing to watch and I put in Liverpool as well because I felt uh, I felt like Liverpool Liverpool are in a worse place than Man United in some respects at the moment because it's, it's all well and good being battered by um, you know possibly the greatest team ever but like being 2-0 down after no time at all against Brighton and coughing up three goals at home and Looking like a team that just has no energy anymore. Seven games into the season, I thought Liverpool, Liverpool have serious problems. So it, it did feel like they were going to take the international break to get to get right, mm. and that this was going to be an opportunity for them to slingshot back into the, the this part of the season, which is a mad dash to the World Cup, and then just just still be in touch after the World Cup is over. But eh, didn't eh. happen. No, no goal for Salah again, um, and Brighton. I, you know, Brighton probably deserved, possibly deserved to win the game on XG. And uh, I'm just looking at it, Jerry. Like they beat Bournemouth, but apart from that, they've what seven points from six games. Um, probably in a battle for the top four at the moment. I think. As from as from Man United, I don't know where do we start. Um, I've some sympathy for them because. I think they, they met a Man City in, in impeccably good form yesterday. Haaland's the best player the Premier League has ever seen, says Eamon Dunphy. Um, for once... He's probably right. For once, being completely over the top about something, it's like, maybe maybe he's understating it. Three successive like home game hat-tricks is just... I mean, what is going on here? Um, and you're now watching Man City to see what Haaland and De Bruyne and the lads will do as opposed to have any interest in the scoreline. Um, you know, maybe this is the thing that Steven Jarrett can cling to. His his team were the one who kept mm. Haaland to a single goal. Yeah. Uh, but obviously that was at Villa Park instead of... Uh, we folded like a pack of cards. Eric Ten Hag. Uh, he, he did make the point now. And, and, we uh, were not brave enough, Eric Ten Hag. Bottle jobs. That's what, that's what Keane and Neville were saying. Bottle jobs. Uh, Ten, Ten Hag made the point afterwards for the first Man City goal and like this isn't you know you don't talk about this in terms of XG or chances but Man, City, Man United had an amazing 3v2 break situation where they were pressing quite high started quite well um, and you know they had a great 3v2 situation just in the City half coughed up the ball very cheaply and City scored then and now there had w- been like three goal scrambles and a booking before that that I know what you mean yeah like it would have been they, vaguely interesting if they gotten the first goal but they did fall apart then yeah I, it, it, and if, uh, you know the first goal was definitely coming wrecking Hal is the stars well it's trial and terror on the front on the front page there like the the, the terror word comes to mind when if you're a defender and you're one nil down against Man City and you're trying to deal with Haaland um, Unacceptable. United so bad, Ten Hag kept Ron on bench to spare his blushes. That was an interesting one. He said that, um, what was the point bringing him on? I have too much respect for him. I can kind of see where he's coming from. It's like, you know, he's no. probably going to, well, he's probably going to, what's the point bringing him no, on? If you're, no, if you're trying to save no, his Don't mi- say it, don't say it. Trying don't to save his it. minutes. What's he doing? What's he doing? What's he saying that for? What's the point of that? Well, what's the point bringing on a player that you're trying to well, get? Well, I don't tell you. Like, you, 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 you're going to use him sparingly. He's too fragile. The game is over. Oh, his little fragile ego can't take coming on in a game that's already over. 
oh, it's terrible for him, poor, poor Ronaldo. Why are we paying him 400 grand a week or whatever it is? Yeah. Highest paid player at the club. What? The- we, can't, we can't use him. We can't use him in this situation. We can't use him at the start of the game. Situation's not right. We can't use him in the middle of the game. Situation's not right. Can't use him. What's he talking about? Just say nothing. Just yeah, say but nothing. he was probably asked. I mean, so what, what's Ronaldo. he supposed to say? No, we didn't bring him on because um, I don't Martial want to talk about Ronaldo. And then he, th- he does say Martial needs minutes, but I, I don't want to talk about that. He says. What's the point bringing on a 37-year-old in a, in a dead game? I don't game? know. I don't know. He's bringing like, him on in games. I like. can't bring him on because without respect to his great career. Mm. Well, he's, he's managing the message there. Well, but like, to who? To Ronaldo? Oh, I guess so. I'm saving your blushes. Maybe he thought, I couldn't bring him on because he's completely useless. He's shot. He's I, a spent force. I think we should give Ten Hag um, a bit of credit, though, in the sense that they've had a better season than Liverpool so far after a terrible, terrible start. And if I were a Liverpool fan, I'd nearly be more worried this morning because they lost to Man City. Who were? If, I was thinking of this this morning, Ger. If Liverpool played Man City tomorrow night, you'd be really, really bricking it as a Liverpool fan. Like, they could absolutely hammer them. Like, they really could. So it's not... Like, fair enough, we have Man United in the red, but Ten Hag has done a, a good job. He's so much to deal with there in terms of the egos. They have gotten their defence... Their, their midfield was obliterated yesterday, by all accounts. And that, you know, that exposed to an extent that um, maybe they need to make some changes there. But he's done a good job so far. Not, not picking Casemiro is, is interesting. Well, um, by all accounts, didn't do well when he came on. He's uh, barely played. I just... I don't really understand... Uh, what was the point of spending all that money on him? I don't know. It, mm. it seemed it seems odd if he's again. It felt like after the international break, he'll be in the team because that's what's going to happen. But no, Scott McTominay. I don't know. I did, I'm still still playing McTominay. I don't really. Understand yeah, but McTominay is playing is playing well for my United this season. Well, he wasn't very good. On you know, he was he's playing. Yesterday, my my attitude this game on Saturday was they'll try to soak up pressure and hit a fairly creaky defence on the break, see what happens, it's going to be an entertaining game, they have a chance. That didn't happen, but the the philosophy would have been to play two sitting midfielders and see if we can hit them on the break. But like this is a whirlwind for Man City. You're you're kind of out of the game before you even know it. Um, Are you buying the Roy Keane that Manchester United are disrespecting Ronaldo by not playing him? I, I I think I think like Roy Keane is ridic- ridiculous on Ronaldo where he's talking about like he scores all these goals and the system and all that like Ronaldo's clearly an anachronism at this stage and that he's and you can even see he's slowing down further obviously which he which he should be doing you you can't you can't fit him into a team that has any sort of a press now and Man United have aspirations to finish in the top four like Ronaldo's. He's, he's a problem in a team like that and he was a problem last season and my, my issue with Ronaldo was throughout all of last season all Man United's other offensive players were playing terrible around him I don't know why but they were playing terribly badly with Ronaldo on the team Man United have had a decent start of the season all told so we shouldn't get too carried away with yesterday you're Liverpool on, like the Mika Richards side of the debate there and well, Keane yeah. was like, well, he never had any problems playing with uh, top-class strikers. But, but like, Roy Keane isn't managing at the moment. Like, so he's, it's easy to, to say these things and go back to his playing days. But like, if you're a coach now at the modern game, Ronaldo's a massive problem. A, because of his ego, and B, because he's 37 and he can't really move anymore. Certainly I, not off the ball. I, I agree with you. I don't see any reason to put him in. And I actually, the answer from Ten Hag is, well, what, what difference was it going to make? The game was gone at that yeah. stage. So we're, we're resting him as opposed to I'm protecting his great career. He doesn't want to be on the pitch to have that on his resume. It's like, well, it is on his resume. He's in the matchday squad. <laughs> um, like, he wasn't good enough to get in that team that got hammered. That's, it's, yeah. He's not sparing his blushes. That's just all a bit weird, I think. And it's all a bit circular. I don't know. 
No, I, I think that's I the play the game. Ten Hag, to be honest. But Perhaps. We'll see how we go from here. But he seems to have managed he and Maguire quite well, namely by not playing them. Uh, JP Wright says United's awful performance has taken the limelight off Liverpool's terrible defence and Anfield failures Newcastle for fourth been saying this for a while now uh, well the, the battle for fourth for Man United for Liverpool is it's is, real, is it's real. Yeah. it is real I mean uh, the Man United fans in the office still think Manchester United are going to finish in the top four so we'll, we'll see uh, Liverpool's next two league games are Arsenal and City they could be in the horrors by Halloween wow because Arsenal, we haven't mentioned yet, obviously. Um, you need a good Netflix doc to get yourself. Was it on Netflix? What was it on the Arsenal documentary? You need a good documentary to get your team going again. The Etihad's, uh, sorry, the, um, the Etihad, well, well, we'll talk about that maybe as well. But um, Arsenal actually seem to have a bit of a vibrancy about them again. Um, there's a real atmosphere in the games. Xhaka's playing like a player... Um, totally reformed and they are top of the table All right. and they beat Spurs who you fell love, apart as well. We love you some Arsenal at the moment. Is that what you're saying? They're your new team for the rest of the year? Well, I think, they, yeah, we haven't mentioned them yet. They are top of the table. They've had an amazing start. All right. The Man United and Liverpool both in the red. Also in the red for us this morning, Christophe Sumion. Christophe Sumion, um, if you're not a racing fan, this was, I think this is something that would, would have uh, you know, caught your attention. He was riding on Friday in Longchamp and... So roll, we were, roll it there, Roisin. Here we go. We can, we can have a look at that, can we? Yeah. So explain what's happened here. You tell us what's going to happen. So Sumion is coming out to Back the right. <laughs> I mean, if we, can, we, if, can we actually just show this again? So watch the two horses uh, to the left, uh, the extreme left of the picture, who are at the back. Um, They're at the very back of the field as well. I don't yeah, really understand. This, this isn't even, um, it's not even... Where are we here? So right at the back. So it's happened now. If we can play it one more time, Roisin. Um, right at the back of the field. Watch, the, watch it. Right at the back. Watch that. Okay, there's people listening on the radio. So, there's a guy in purple who's Sumion, and there's a guy in white who is the, the R- Irish jockey. Ross Ryan. Sumion is obviously riding a song. Clued. He, he's a Belgian rider, but France is his home territory. He literally, he literally um, elbows the jockey out of the way. Ross Ryan out of the way. Ross Ryan uh, came wide around Sumion. This is on the flat. Uh, on the flat. So you're talking, you're riding at 35, 40 miles an hour here. Um, and he literally just elbows. Ross Ryan was probably in a slightly um, uncomfortable position in terms of his stirrups, but he literally just elbowed him out of the saddle. Um, I've never seen anything like this. Um, no, it's one of these things you expect to see from one of these small racing jurisdictions that pops up on Twitter sometimes. This is France. Sumion's one of the greatest jockeys in the world. So just explain that, because people would be vaguely familiar with the name, but he's at the very elite. Very elite. elite. Best best jockey in France for a long time. Rides for the Aga Khan. Rode the likes of Zarkava. Um, has a great relationship with the Aga Khan. Um, he's, I don't know, where would you rank him in terms of... European jockey, certainly one of the best, and the the premier, the, the best jockey in France for years. Like Zarkav has gone back, uh, he's like we're going back years here, and he has been the best. He's he's getting to the kind of more senior stage of his career. Here. Ross Ryan is a young jockey, but to, to make the to, to make a long story short, he got a two month ban, but he was still allowed to ride a long jump over the weekend because the ban doesn't come in straight away. The fr- French Gallop said we're not really happy with this. But he finished second in the arc yesterday for the Aga Khan on Vidini um, and, oh, and nearly won it. You, you do this one day and then you ride the next day. and Yeah, and <clears throat> is two months enough? I mean, this is so recklessly is dangerous. It not, why, just as a matter of interest, any idea why a uh, uh, ban handed down doesn't kick in straight away? It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not like um, sport where, and there is a, a right of appeal as well. And he, I'm not sure when the ban actually 
clicks in. But Fr- French Gallop says there's nothing we can do about this. He's meeting the Aga Khan's daughter today, who's representing the Aga Khan. To me, it sounds like he's going to get the sack. Um, but I, racing fans out there, what was the right punishment for this? Because uh, you're endangering someone's life here. Like this is so so serious. It's yeah, like, it should be a criminal offence. A criminal. It's, it's it's literally like it's it's like being in the back of a car. And I'm not messing here. It's like being in the back of a car going around forty miles an hour, opening the door and just chucking a fella out. Of it. Like it's yeah. not. Uh, and at least if you did that in the back of a car, there's a moment where you know, you know this is happen. happening. Yeah. Ross Ryan, like, how can you expect something like this? And for Sumion, did he have any, any explanation for it? Like they're at the back of the field. It's not going to have an impact no, on the outcome. He, he did make a kind of a grovelling apology and I do wonder in cases like this where we saw an instance with Paul Hannigan at uh, Roy Lascott where he rode very dangerously as well nothing compared to this but if you go into the weighing room after an incident like this how are you treated by other jockeys and how will Sumion be treated going forward because yeah. I All think right. this is quite unforgivable to be honest yeah okay okay so that's the two in the red <clears throat> we've got to fly through these now in the amber you've got Ulster mm. Ulster is orange, or amber in, in this case. Um, obviously, more, more Catholics than Protestants from the, in, in Northern Ireland these days, but um, it's an interesting time in Northern Ireland. Ireland and free shall never be a peace, is that what you're saying? Ireland and free shall never be a peace. Ulster rugby, on the other hand, I was, my mate uh, is a Glen Torn fan, and he was texting me photos of the Oval whilst the Ulster game was going on. They had to call the game off, it was so wet. It, literally, the pitch came unplayable. Ah, so, this, okay. so the Oval um, was called off. The, the Ulster game obviously played in terrible conditions. Leinster just started very well also rally they've had a good start to the season and we'll obviously talk about this uh, a bit later on but um, at least they rallied and could have forced a uh, result uh, yeah could have forced a result Dan McFarland afterwards was pretty dismissive though said that Leinster were definitely better now mm. Leinster um, were getting a lot of credit for managing the game but we're a bit fortunate that, that TMO decision I, there's definitely a part of you that goes he still has downward pressure yeah. and the hand is like there's a fingertip on it I, it could have gone either way and then it would have been very interesting to see what happened so why have Leinster had two second half collapses already is interesting as well if not a collapse like they're kind of riding their luck a little bit or, or it's complacency has, yeah. has set in and they're like not that jazzed by the fact this is early season URC when they know that they're going to qualify for the knockout stage of the URC guaranteed and Mm. Their holy grail this season is the the fifth star for Lancaster on his way. I don't know. It's, mm. It is interesting, and um, let's wait and see exactly how well uh, after the game. You know, Cullen was singing the praises of Jason Jenkins, the the South African beefy second row that they've added, who was at Munster but never played mm. uh, last season. So we'll see. We'll see. We're going to talk Quinny about that a little bit later on. Uh, Andy Moran is in the green. Andy Moran, yeah. I mean, uh, what a guy. He's just finished up his uh, playing career at the weekend uh, for the club. Um, I will always recall that I he's one of the few um, inter-county footballers that I played with at any sport. And I played underage soccer with him and played against him when he was playing for... God, I hope Andy, Andy can correct me on this now. What was his club team? He was probably playing for Balahadrine. There were a few clubs that kind of came and what soccer club yeah it went soccer. around the time he was a lovely soccer player though you could tell he had a real, a real eye for a pass and uh, I'd say he could have definitely made it at League of Ireland level if he if he were that way inclined but had the last game for the club what did he get 3-3 at the weekend 3-3 in a relegation playoff in a relegation playoff and um, obviously now known for his uh, um fledgling uh, inter-county manager why is he retiring though is that not the type of thing where you score 3-3 like next year like it's just a, I'm, not, I'm not doing the pre-season but I'll come back for the games shortly yeah like, just one last time you never really retire from the club do you yeah um, it's always like a, come on kind of got to give your commitment to Leitrim I guess but uh, 
he's one of those guys I you know you do wish that he'd won an All Ireland for Mayo because of like Andy is an interesting I think he's an interesting study because he, he he wasn't quick um, he looked as he was getting older how is this lad going to manage at intercounty football level but he's just so much upstairs in terms of his football brain that he was able to have that longevity in his career and uh, definitely wish him all the best. Yeah, I just uh, I, while we're doing this, I'm going to have a little quick shout out to Mossy Quinn who was sticking them in for Vincent's at the weekend, also guaranteeing senior football next year. Um, so, what age is Mossy now? I don't want to. I don't want to libel him, but I, I'd be happy to suggest he's forty. Is he? Is he forty? I don't know. He was referenced in the um, the death of Brian Mullins as well, where Mossy put up a tweet saying during. I actually like this now. He was like, during lockdown, I was kind of struggling for motivation and Brian essentially sent me back a photo. It was like seven in the morning and he was lifting weights. If you can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Um, There's a load of those stories where just the the relentless positivity of um, Brian Mullins had an impact in people's lives. And I, you know. I don't think relentless positivity would encapsulate Brian Mullins. I, I, I didn't I, know the man, but I know what you mean. Well, but actually, any time you met him... Anytime you met him, you came away thinking, I feel better about life now. This guy is like instilling me with. Uh, Are you talking personally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. And I never met play, him. No. Totally different. I, yeah. Um, what was he like in terms of if you met him at a conference or, a, you know, a game or, a, you know, just, just this positive sort of attitude? Oh, totally, yeah. And like a, full of stories, like mm. full of, um, I have this thing that's interesting that you're going to be interested in and then just kind of like happy to impart knowledge and wisdom and, and always like. Um, Slightly devious. Philly McMahon told a story as well about uh, playing Vincent's Ballymun would have been one of the great rivalries of the last decade or so, and it's kind of it's faded a bit now. But you know they were literally knocking lumps out of each other again and again and again. And he tells a story. He's playing a game against Vincent's and it's getting abuse from an umpire. And he turns around to Brian Mullins and he's just winding him up. Vincent Hogan has a great piece today. Uh, it does and um, so Vincent would have been young enough, I think, starting out. Um, but anyway, had a, had a relationship with Mullins over the years about stuff. Had gone to Carndona in Donegal, where he was the school principal, to kind of do a feature piece on him. But then in latter years, when he moved down to UCD, Vincent would play five-side football sometimes, and Mullins would come and just watch, and again, give them abuse it, on the sidelines, going, remarks, ah, was, look at the quality of this. You know, uh, apparently he was an amazing soccer player himself. Um, and yeah, a, and, and the- a rugby player who played for... Leinster under 20s and the same team as John Robbie who went on to play for Ireland and now lives in South Africa the same weekend that he made his debut for the Dubs scored a try from the second row so like a phenomenal gifted sportsman but also like just a great person and you know it's it's kind of you look at you look at the, the mad moments in life like Brian, Brian Mullins was taken very early but like, I didn't realise the extent of the car crash that he was in in like was that the early 80s where he very nearly could have been killed and came back from that and by all accounts wasn't quite physically the same but still managed to win All-Ireland with Dublin in 83 obviously the, the 12 Apostles um, and could have even been better apart from that car crash but also could have been um, tragically killed much earlier in his life and came back and I, I found some of the stories fascinating Kevin Warren coming into the Dublin dressing room and being a bit intimidated and being sort of told don't sit here don't sit there and Mullins just taking him by the hand and saying sit beside me you'll be grand and Mullins was 21 at the time some great stories and uh, very very sad as I think it was Colm O'Rourke wrote about yesterday in Sunday Independent that you know this guy who seemed totally indestructible yeah. is taken in his 60s yeah no, far too young. Uh, right, Arsenal are in the green. We'll talk about Arsenal properly a little bit later on. Is there anything you've already said that you think Arsenal are the real deal? Why don't you marry them, basically? 
I didn't quite see that, but in, fair, in fairness to Arteta, um, he signed very well, and you know, a lot has been made of Haaland signing as the number nine, but Jesus has, has done wonders at Arsenal, and interestingly for Spurs, this looked like a problem um, early in the season, particularly in the Chelsea game, when Chelsea looked very good. Spurs have midfield problems, where if, if their strikers aren't on a going day, and it didn't look like they really were on Saturday, they're just overrun in midfield at times, and, and Arsenal were very, very good, and um, Arsenal-Liverpool is going to be interesting, Ger. It will be. Next game. Yeah. Uh, all right, that is it. That's this week's Gillette's Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. Now, do you want to spend the night with Roddy Collins? We've teamed up with Penguin Ireland to celebrate the release of Roddy's new autobiography, The Rodfather, with a special night at the Sugar Club in Dublin on Thursday, October the 13th. Uh, Richie McCormick is going to be joined on the night by the Rodfather himself, the book's ghostwriter Paul Howard, and some very special guests. It promises to be a cracking night. Check out thesugarclub.com for tickets. We're back with NFL analyst Mike Carlson next, but first, here's Nathan Murphy talking to Man City defender Manuel Akanji at the Etihad following their hammering of United in the Manchester Derby. Well, Manuel, uh, Manchester Derby debuts don't get much better than that. I mean, if we would have kept a clean sheet, then it would have been, it would have been better. But um, I'm happy in the end for the three points. For the six goals we scored, um, yeah, we can do better on the defensive side. But still, the three points are that what matters. You must still, despite the lack of a clean sheet, must be happy with your own performance. You were really commanding at the back. You played a big role in the first goal as well, stepping out from the fence. Yeah, that's what, what, the, what the team is asking me to do, what the coach is asking me to do. And I'm trying to help them in this way. I'm in defending and also in building up and helping the team. Um, in the offense and I'm trying to do that sometimes it works better sometimes it doesn't but I'm always trying to give my best you score six goals so Pep Guardiola must be very happy but conceding the three goals how quickly does that come up in the dressing room afterwards um, today he was just really happy that we won, they won the derby um, we made a picture all together so yeah that was a good feeling obviously we'll talk about it tomorrow after tomorrow um, because we've got to do it better in the next game. Is it just a natural thing? You have a very experienced player, you've played a lot of games, that there, there's automatically a, a bit of a step-off when you have such a commanding lead in the game? Yeah, I think it's pretty normal, and I think also United didn't want to go home with uh, with their head down and uh, just take just take a loss to try to do something. So, yeah, we, sh- we should have done better, but, yeah, like like I said, we were up 6-1 in the end, we win 6-3. It's still, it's still a good win, but could have been a little bit better. Erling Haaland's a player you know very well. Expectations were sky high when he came to England. He's already surpassing them. Are you even a bit surprised as to how good he has been? Three consecutive home hat-tricks? No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, do you avoid him in training? Do you make sure someone else picks him up? No, that's how I get better be, uh, with defending against the best players. He's one of he's one of them. Maybe he's the best, I don't know. But um, yeah, that's how I get better, getting uh, against him in every training. And that helps me as well in the games. And how good is he? Because you, you play against Lewandowski quite often. You've played against the very best. Watching him and playing and training with him, just how good can he be, do you think? I mean, he proved he proved himself. He's playing in the best league in the world. Um, he's by far the leading goal scorer in that league. Um, I don't know how many records he already broke, um, and he keeps on going. Maybe you can say he's the best. I don't know. It's not. It's not up to me to judge. But he's for sure up there. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was pretty good. Uh, turns out he was a good signing so far. Anyway, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number if you want to get in touch with us. Mike Carlson is with us. Mike, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, good morning. Yeah, well, big day yesterday with the, the first match in London. Uh, yeah, trying trying to see a match live in London and then catch up with the rest of the league uh, be- by the end of the end of the night makes you pretty bleary. I'm sure. Um, we, we, we can talk about the London game in a moment because it was a really fascinating end to it. But I do want to talk about uh, Tua and the situation that happened 
Um, <clears throat> I think everybody has seen the video at this stage of his uh, second injury and um, in the aftermath of that, the NFLPA, the Players Association, have sacked the independent neurological consultant whose job it was to preside over uh, whether or not Tua was fit to play. Uh, I mean, you know, in, in one respect, fair play. They've they've taken swift action. In another, it feels a little bit like they're trying to appoint a scapegoat in this whole thing. What's your instinct about what's going on here, Mike? I, I agree with you on the latter. Um, you know, I... I it, it, it isn't his decision. The, they call him an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant. Every team has one. But the final decision is the team doctors, the James Woods character from any given any given Sunday. Um, and still our overwhelming suspicion is that their priority is to get the player to play. And of course, the player wants to play. This is this is what you know. You have to remember. So if you left it to the players, they would come you know back on immediately. Your bell is rung, your head clears up, um, and then you think you're okay to go. But but what we're protecting them against is the long term effects of concussion and all. And the problem went back to his first hit the week before, where he got. He got pushed to the ground very hard. His head went off, went off the, the ground. He immediately grabbed his head and shook it to try to shake it, to try to clear it. He got up, he went about three steps, and then he collapsed down to the ground. And um, they took him for evaluation. The consultant said he was okay, presumably. We don't know what he said. But then the doctor gave him the clearance to come back. He came back and played the rest of the game, saying that, and the team said that he had a back injury, basically, not a head injury. So this meant he was okay to go on the Thursday night game. Remember, they played on Sunday, then they played on Thursday. And the hit that we were, you were talking about at the beginning was not a particularly hard one. The, the guy who sacked him was literally sitting down on the turf and pulled him down over his own legs so that his head wound up bouncing off the turf. And he was out. And and we knew it. Now, there, there's there's a couple of things going on here that um, they have a no go in the pro- protocols. And as you said, the Players Association has sacked the consultant. They or the league have the right to do that. They have to approve each one that is hi- that is hired by the teams. Um, but there are no go rules about concussion. So if a player shows what they call gross motion instability, which is what Tua showed in the first game when he, he's wobbling around and all, that's kind of an automatic. You don't play the rest of the game. And for him to come back was was basically unconscionable. Um, and I, I keep going back to a couple of other points that the Players Association and the League agree on. All of our stadia, almost all of them now have have artificial turf, which means it's a surface laid basically over concrete. So your head is bouncing off concrete, not off of off of grass. And, you know, we have a lot of players who want to play on grass because you have fewer unforced leg injuries as well because you get better support um, uh, on your feet. So I, I think we have to start rethinking the whole artificial turf thing, which is a money issue because it's cheaper to run in the long term than grass. The referees are basically letting players play in what used to be called in the grasp. In other words, when a quarterback is being held by a player, but he isn't down yet, they're letting that go because we have so many good running quarterbacks, exciting guys, and and a number also who are big 
and can absorb hits and still get rid of the ball. So they're letting them have it. The longer they stay in someone's grasp, the more danger they are in of being hurt. And that's something that has to be addressed. Uh, And then finally, it's the independent so-called consultant. It's the doctor. It's the coaches. It's the management. I mean, everybody wants to get him back on the field because he's the star of the show. And we don't, you know, we don't want the star of the show. At some point, they have to take responsibility. And there's still, I mean, Mike McDaniel is still talking about how, you know, every we thought everything was good, Tua was fine. And and any player will tell you that he wants to play. He will go back out if he, you know, if his head is clear and, and he thinks sometimes if his head isn't clear and he doesn't know the difference. But someone has to protect the players from the long-term effects of concussion damage, you know. So it's no good when, what's to it 24 when he's 54 if, if all of a sudden he can't remember what his children's names are you know my, it, my, it's yeah mike we're, we're, we're i mean i think this issue in rugby is gonna is is, is gonna be absolutely enormous in, in there i think there are some um kind of echoes with the out the out half the modern out half and the quarterback you said the modern quarterback a lot of them run so they're going to take hits but for me Everyone watching that with, with any kind of knowledge of concussion would have told you he cannot come back on the pitch. Once you see that like jittery on his feet, the wobble after he shook his head, how can a coaching staff, how can all of those individuals involved and even the players, how can they let this happen? Because it cannot be, it cannot happen anymore. Now we, now we have a scapegoat, but there are people in that room. Evil happens when good men and women stay silent. This should never have happened. And then you get what happened on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could I couldn't agree with you more. It was obvious. It was obvious to everybody. And uh, you all all I can think, all I can say is that you are caught up in the business of winning the game and that that becomes your priority. And if you're the coach, if you're Mike McDaniel, the doc comes out and says he's fine. He's got a back injury. You don't go back. And but you think, saw oh, it. You saw. You yeah, were the coach. You saw. You're not. You're not in the business of winning a football game. You're in the business of your player not having dementia when he's forty. Well, Whatever. Do you know he, what I mean? They, yeah. Uh, you, like, which they, is what I've been. Which is what I've been saying. But but I. You know. I. I. I sort of see how it. it what it does. It. It allows the coach not to have to make a decision. Yeah. You know. And yeah. And he can stay. He can stay back. And Wipe his do, hands. Yeah, wipe his hands. I don't. I, it's not my decision. The doctors say he's okay. How do you feel, Tua? Tua, of course, says I'm I'm good to go, and so he he goes in there. And 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 the the correlation between the first injury and, and the second injury is so obvious that mm. you know they have to do something now. So the NFL and the Players Association are going to do an investigation of changing the protocol or something like that. And you know that that begs the point. The protocol if it was applied correctly, would have, would have worked mm. um, for Tua, you know, and, and that's basically the point. It's, it's kind of like you need to go around and slap everybody in the face and say, look, let's take this seriously instead of just playing lip service. Yeah. It's hard to know where this ends really. Um, like, I don't know, do they start? Well, we had, we had two quarterbacks concussed this weekend. Um, I haven't seen the, the Tyrod Taylor one. He came in for Daniel Jones and the Giants after Jones injured his ankle. And um, when he went off, Jones had to come back in and play on a bad ankle. Um, I did see Brian Hoyer with the Patriots and it didn't look like, <clears throat> excuse me, it didn't look like a, you know, a, a massive shot or anything like that. Um, but he got up, he was hit, he got up and they took him in immediately and, and take kept him out for the game. And I, I don't, you know, I suspect part of that was people were being extra cautious because of Tua, but hopefully 
and I say hopefully, but you know, you don't you don't know that attitude will carry on for the rest of the season. You know, and and you'd rather I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I could you know I've been in, I've been involved in this one way or another all, almost all my life. I'd much rather err in, the, in on the side of caution in this. You know, yeah. if if I were a huge fan, I would want to err err on, the, on the side so, of caution. Some historical context, Mike. Like, what are the um like not not necessarily hard figures, but you know the NFL has had a serious problem with um a lot of these players having like serious mental health issues post games oh, because yeah. of the hits they've gotten, and this is why. This seems just like from another era almost that this could still go on. Yeah, you you would again you would you would think we were past that because the, the evidence is there. Um it, it's one of the problems and the bigger issue is that although the big hits like the one on Tua um or it's actually it actually wasn't you know that big a hit. It, it was the it was the head bouncing off the turf in mm. both in both cases the cause but but um C, uh, CTE and um, concussion damage is is a kind of um, collective thing. It's it's the accumulation of lots of hits that that do the most damage. Which is why, again, why you, when a guy is concussed, you don't put him back on the field four days later because the second one is that much worse than the first. But for a lot of players, linemen in particular, you never see mm. one big shot that that sends them off reeling, but a whole career of Heads banging, heads banging on every single play. That's why on. rugby. That's why rugby terrifies me going forward, Jer. Like terrifies yeah. me. It's, yeah, um, I mean, I'm surprised that there isn't more scrum. You know what we see in rugby. I mean, the, the scrums are something that should be. But what we see in rugby are is is all the taking out of players. Um, when, when you're um, when you're in the rock. Yeah, and I think it's a good that, point, that, well, that Mike makes that. That you yeah. know the, the the headline stuff that we saw on on Thursday and that like that, that that's what gets people talking. It's the stuff you don't see that's probably even more terrifying. Yeah, well, yeah, I, and that that's a real that is a real worry. Um, you know, for for almost everybody. I do want to just ask about the <clears throat> the London game. Pardon me, where a double doink. I, I, a double doink goes and bounces out. I haven't seen that before. Normally, the double doink bounces over, uh, and it looked like it was for all the world about to bounce over. Yeah, there was the, there was the strangest spin on the ball. You know, it, it was it was literally kind of spinning um, parallel to the ground as it as it went down off off the the left upright, um, and then it hit it hit the the crossbar. And went back up, and for you know, for that like one frozen instant, you didn't know which way it was going to come back down, but its momentum took it on the wrong side. Now it, it was fascinating because Lutz had hit a sixty-yard field goal to tie the game with about two minutes left, just a, just under the two-minute warning, and Greg Joseph had missed an extra point before that, which let the field goal tie the game. They, they would have been a point down even with the field goal, which would have made the the finish a whole lot more interesting. But then. Joseph hit a, I think it was 46 yard field goal to give, um, to give them the lead. And then it was one play and Lutz took, took the kick. So he made one from 60, he missed from 61. What's really interesting to me is that we actually almost assume now that 60 yard kicks are makeable where 10 years ago, it would have been a very unusual occurrence to, to even try it, you know? Um, But it it was, it was a great, it wasn't a great game, but it was, it was, it was a fascinating one. I mean, it it kept competitive um, throughout. And and of course it was a great finish. Yeah. Mike, we got to leave it there. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Sure, anytime, sure. It's uh, Mike Carlson. That, um, so we were talking there about the, the Vikings and the Saints, which was on in the Tottenham Stadium. Mm. And um, 
it all came down. Luckily enough, the final two minutes were all at half time in the Manchester Derby. So a lot of people will have flicked yeah. over and seen the, the missed kick that would have sent the game to overtime or a draw, as has been reported in the papers this morning. <laughs> if you haven't watched the, you know, if you haven't watched the red zone, um, the NFL is terrific entertainment, um, notwithstanding. There you go. Yeah. Everything is compromised, Johnny. Mm. Everything is it compromised. Is. 13 minutes past eight this morning. A reminder that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Each week we're giving one lucky viewer a hundred euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out at Off The Ball on Twitter. Like and retweet our Brayburn competition post and you'll be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go experience coffee experience on the road it's available at Apple Green today we're back after this break with Samuel Luckhurst of the Manchester Evening News giving the United perspective after their nightmare at the Etihad OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar right Samuel Luckhurst is with us to talk to us about the uh, situation at Manchester United after their 6-3 defeat in the derby Samuel good morning to you how are you Good morning, very well. Thank you for having me on again. The Manchester United fans streaming out before halftime was a picture. It was, it was quite the look. Um, I, and it was, I, I, you know, normally you're like, I, I can't believe they're leaving. They need to stay and support the team, thick and thin, thin and thinner. And uh, in some ways they might have been justified. I think this is the eighth time now in the last year that United conceded at least four goals in a game. At one point yesterday, City got it to 6-1. So you had flashbacks of 2011. Briefly, there were flashbacks of 1989 and the 5-1 at Main Road. City fans for 11 years have chanted about how it should have been 10, uh, referenced that 6-1 in 2011. And really, yesterday, it probably could and should have been. City eased off. They, they did show United mercy, believe it or not, even though they pillaged six goals against them. And the scoreline wasn't a fair reflection whatsoever. Uh, those two goals, Mansi Marshall at the end, uh, which is a consequence of City, as I said, uh, easing off on United. And it was, it was, I suppose, reassuring for United supporters that Ten Hag was still extremely critical of the players afterwards and that he wasn't sugarcoating it at all. And he wasn't even taking um, any, any consolation from the fact that the, the losing margin was only uh, three goals. How hard would you be in the players of Samuel in the sense of did they come up against a literally unstoppable force that were playing with incredible speed, ingenuity and Haaland in the first half or were you not just shite? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's probably a mixture of both. When, when the team sheets dropped actually uh, in the press room, a lot of people were looking at it thinking you know, City's best central defensive pairing was was on the bench uh, with the Kanji and Ake starting, no Rodri. It, there were a lot of reasons that you could see there for United to actually find City gettable and um, maybe make hay there. But from pretty much the first kick of the game, I mean, United conceded in the eighth minute. They were lucky not to have been 1-0 down before then when there, there was that flurry of chances. But I suppose the alarming thing is that there, there are a couple of things there. United were far worse than they were under Rangnick in March. Uh, for an hour of that game, they were pretty decent. Certainly the first half, they put up a good showing. They were 2-1 down. They were still in the game. But that game yesterday, they were they were cut apart far more. It was much more easier for Manchester City getting through United. And this is a defence that hadn't conceded too many goals uh, in, in recent games since Rafael Varane came into the team. You have got the mitigation of, of Varane's injury yesterday, having... 
clearly a, a massive bearing on, on, on the scoreline, maybe not the outcome. I think City would still have won that game. And also the game plan was not very different at all. In fact, it was almost identical to how United played there under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. The difference was the three times Solskjaer took United there, they won every time. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that Ten Hag has done that have been progressive and nobody is doubting that um, he's, he's, he's not a better manager than, than Solskjaer. He's, he's far more worthy of, of the role of Manchester United manager. But that game plan yesterday hinged on either a counter-attack or a forward doing something out of nothing. And most of the starts and forwards did next to nothing. What's the story of Casemiro? It's it's been six weeks now since he was unveiled by United, and the, the problem is that Ten Hag has essentially played him out of the team by just not playing him at all. Um, certainly from the start, there have been three or four opportunities to start him in Premier League games. I think people were surprised that he didn't start against Southampton, which was five days after he was registered as a United player. Then there was another five-day gap until the Leicester game. He still didn't start in that. McTominay did. And you knew going into the game on Sunday, the, the team that Ten Hag selected yesterday was as expected. If, if Rashford was fit, he was always going to start and it was always going to be the one change from their previous game in Moldova, which was Rashford for Ronaldo. The trouble is that stop, with Scott McTominay, decent though he's been recently, when you've invested £70 million in a defensive midfielder and then six weeks later, he's still not starting against probably the best front six in world football, your preparations of there's been a misstep in your press preparations there because as honest a player as McTominay is and as I said he has been doing decently recently if United said to have standards he cannot be starting regularly because he's not good enough to be a regular starter in a successful Manchester United team he has done very well to forge um, a career at the club and play as regularly as he has and uh, he's endeared himself to four different managers now, which is a testament to, to his attitude. And he has got qualities. There's no doubt about that. But he's not a defensive midfielder. And by not even preparing Casemiro for that game, it's something Sir Alex Ferguson for, I mean, there was a lot of justifiable criticism about Ferguson for his tinkering and his rotating. But he would tell certain players weeks in advance of a game, you are starting in that game. You need to prepare for that game. With Casemiro, he was never going to be starting in that game. And Ten Hag put it down to the day that he arrived, United started winning. Yeah, OK, you know, nobody's disputing that. They did win four games on the spin. But Manchester City are a level up, uh, a few levels up from uh, Liverpool, certainly this season, and even Arsenal this season. So you've got to be you know, planning ahead with the right players in place. And yesterday, I mean, it was a big problem that the forwards did. I mean, p- people talk about United pressing and um, looking different team in that sense. They really don't. The, the forwards gave the, the midfielders and the defenders no protection whatsoever. And I think at one point in the first half, Ake actually brought the ball into United's half. And I heard some United staff members nearby saying, how has Ake been allowed to do that? And immediately you then looked to McTominay to engage Ake. But he can't do that because he's shadowing De Bruyne. So I'm not saying that Casemiro would have made a, a tangible difference there yesterday. And he has looked a bit cumbersome at times. But ultimately, he is a player that Manchester United invested £70 million in in the transfer window. And I suppose it's a different story altogether that with the profile of players that they signed, the one who sticks out in terms of the outfield players, the one who sticks out like a sore thumb 
is Casemiro because he has no connection to Ten Hag. And United said earlier in the summer they were comfortable not go, of going without signing a defensive midfielder. I don't think it's a coincidence that they then spent £70 million on the position fans were clamouring for them to um, to get to reinforce after they were battered 4-0 by Brentford. Uh, I... <clears throat> I was asked um, by Colin, our producer, is it not a question of fitness? But then just checked and he did 60 minutes against Ghana and 90 minutes against Tunisia. So he's fit. And, and he played He played in France as well. It's not like he's gone halfway around the world to Brazil or he's played in, in Bolivia where the climate is, is problematic. He was playing across the channel. Uh, but again, I think, I think Ten Hag made his decision on that team weeks ago, four weeks ago, really. The, the postponements have probably not helped as well. United have had two games in the Premier League that they've not played and they would have certainly had a bearing on, on his selections for, for the game yesterday. But that that is on him not in, not um, integrating Casemiro into the starting team. Um, apart from that, obviously, there's uh, issues around the defence. It turns out again, uh, Varane went off injured. Unfortunately, Varane's injury profile is such that you don't really expect to have him for 35, 36, 40, 50 games a season. So uh, with Maguire, I don't know how close he was to being fit for that game. What does the centre-back partnership look like for the next couple of weeks here? I suppose it will be Lindelof and uh, Martinez. He's not really got much choice there because the other two senior centre-backs uh, still at United, uh, it's easy to forget them, are Axelton, Zabi and Phil Jones. Both of them are injury-prone and both of them are also injured. So he's he's got no choice there for the time being if, if they do get another injury there and Varane is still sidelined and, and Maguire is still out, then... Of course, he's going to have to try and be a bit creative, maybe play McTominay back there. Uh, I think that's that's something that he might have to resort to. You've seen in, um, in, in relatively recent years when, when Michael Carrick was still playing for United that he did drop back to centre-back, but it's not a great position to be in, although it, it is quite unfortunate for United that four centre-backs are now injured, uh, having you know, just obviously in the summer they, they invested in more than £50 million on another one. On Lissandro Martinez for Maguire, it's it's unfortunate for him. Um, I, I, there's there's no real time frame on when he will be back, but you know, he, it was his choice to play on injured for England in a game that, as competitive and watchable as it was, it was a Nations League game with next to nothing riding on it. And there's always been a, a suspicion among United's fan base that Maguire does reserve his best for England and. Again, you know, a more a more canny player might have taken themselves out of the firing line and, and asked to be substituted, and not potentially not aggravated their injury. Just mm. just on the on the game yesterday, Samuel, what, what's it like? Haaland is coming to Dublin in November, and I think everyone is looking forward to that, and I think it's going to sell out almost just to see him. What's it like actually being there in a Manchester derby where you're? probably looking at something the football world has never seen before, ever. I mean, I, I knew just from watching him on the telly that he was a generational talent, as everybody does. And when you're actually observing him, I think it, it was almost the equivalent of Alan Partridge and the um, chocolate oranges yesterday, and that when United were 1-0 down, they were actually keeping Haaland pretty quiet. But as, as Partridge himself discovered, even the chocolate oranges were damaged and Haaland did a hell of a lot of damage yesterday. The the second goal he scored, 
I mean, I think you look back at it and you think, crack, he's done so well. That's that's freakish for him to have done that. But when he did it at the time, I wasn't surprised. I don't think anybody was surprised because it, he is just, he's a freak of nature. This is De Bruyne's um, pass now. Well, he's also... Yeah, he, his, yeah. This goal, Jer, is... Is it beyond insane though? He because slides. he he waits, <sighs> he waits for that ball, and you're talking about this ball is moving at a speed. De Bruyne's delivery is obviously literally inch perfect, but he is waiting for that, waiting, 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 and then getting a connection. I'm not sure anyone in the world could actually make connection. I, I would agree. I think, and a couple of weeks ago when he did the <clears throat> the flying kick backwards with the left foot coming back across himself, I thought, oh, that's, that's wow, that finish is like. Whatever the gymnastic athletic ability that he has, like the suppleness to be able to do that. And then just to be able to pull out the I'm gonna slide into this now, it's not it doesn't make any sense. Mm. It's like he has an extra skill that other people don't have that gives him I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't seen anybody as as deft at that size ever. He is he is the complete centre forward in the he he's built like a monster, but he's I mean, that, that whole saying about, oh, he's got a good touch for a big man. I mean, he completely dispels that. He's, his touch is perfect. He's lightning quick. Uh, he's, he's agile. Uh, he's a handful in the air. He's a handful on the deck. I, I, I'm struggling to see a single, uh, a single weakness in his game. He, he looks like one of those strikers who's just been built in a lab, really. There's, there's, I don't think there's a single weakness about him. What does it mean for English football, though, Samuel, in the sense that he's young, so if he stays relatively fit, like, it's almost impossible to see what happens other than... But Mads. he's only going to stay three years, as Dad told everybody yesterday. Yeah. What, 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 what's the feeling like? What's the feeling um, even in Manchester yesterday where, uh, you know, I guess Man City are getting... They're probably thinking now we're not going to lose a league as long as he's here. Liverpool are completely faded. What? What's? Is this good for the game? Because I, I love watching him, but obviously you want competition. You, you certainly do, and he might be the difference in the Champions League for them. In that, that has been the the one trophy that's eluded Guardiola in the last six years that he's been there. Uh, he's he's had some brilliant strikers in that time. I mean, Jesus, okay, he's, he's he's gone up a level at Arsenal where he's the main man, but he was a decent backup man. Aguero was a great great player for City, but Haaland is is a different level. Um, the the rate he's scoring is just terrifying, and he, he terrifies opponents as as you saw yesterday. And I think from from English football fans' perspective, who aren't Manchester City fans, they'll have to hope that what his father said about him having a shelf life of three or four years at club. Uh, at each club um, is turns out to be correct. But what you notice with City is that th- their best players, the majority of them, don't tend to um, don't tend to leave early. Uh, they tend to stay there a fair while. With with Raheem Sterling, he was there for seven years. I know it, that flew by, but I suppose when he signed for them at the time, you wouldn't have necessarily thought he would have been there for seven years. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne has been there for seven years, and. You thought maybe a couple of years ago that maybe there was a time coming up for him to to move on to one of the more uh, you know, historically famous clubs. But City do an extremely good job of keeping the best players they have there. Bernardo Silva has looked to get out a couple of times, I think, but he's still there. He's still starting. He's still a world-class player for them who um, would walk into just about any other team in the world. They That culture and that environment that they cultivate there is just a dream for any professional footballer and obviously it does help having Pep Guardiola as the coach as well but it's not easy playing for Guardiola he's mm. incredibly demanding he even said yesterday like perfection doesn't exist but that doesn't that doesn't stop him from striving for it 
uh, every day, every training session, every game. And you look at him yesterday, and at times you'd have thought he was the one who was getting a 6-1 drubbing. Mm. They couldn't do anything to satisfy him during that game. And apart from scoring, he looked absolutely jubilant. Sorry, he was absolutely jubilant when they scored. Mm. But apart from those moments... He was he was being as as critical as anybody in the stadium, and that's what separates him from just about every other manager mm. in the world, and that's what separates City from every other team in the country, at the very least. What did you make of the comments from Ten Hag about not um, putting Ronaldo on because of his great career? Well, that was to my question, and I was slightly taken aback by it. it, it I don't think anybody really truly believes that. Um, he would rather play Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial. I think he'd probably rather play Anthony Alanga as well, if given the choice. And he did that against Liverpool in, in August when Ronaldo was taken out of the team and Alanga lined up on the left. Um, he, he prefers flexible forwards. Uh, Ronaldo doesn't fit into that uh, way of playing. Obviously, when you don't play Ronaldo in a derby and you do use your five uh, substitutes and he's he's unused, that that is a story in itself because it's Ronaldo, and you know it's unfortunate for Ten Hag in a way because he has got enough on his plate. And however he answered that question, um, he was he was not going to satisfy anyone really. But when you when you look at that situation, the way it's developed, United didn't get a good enough offer to to sell Ronaldo and the clubs that looked at him, considered him, never made the offer, whether it was Chelsea or Bayern Munich or Atletico Madrid. Can, can you explain he, that, Samuel, actually? What what was a good enough offer then? Like, Because in my mind, it would have been just get rid of him. I mean, it's easier said than done in the, you know, the, the, the clubs didn't want him. Um, Tuchel didn't want him at Chelsea and look how that's turned out. Obviously, Tuchel's not there anymore. Uh, there was... A hell of a lot of resistance from Atletico Madrid uh, internally, as well as their su- supporters as well that you'd have seen, who were very visible in protesting against the very um, the, the very possibility of Ronaldo going there. Bayern Munich maybe could have done with him in hindsight, given the way that they've started this season, but they they didn't make an offer. They they were complimentary about him, but there was never a serious discussion there. I think the only concrete offer came from the Saudi Arabian club, and Ronaldo doesn't want to be going off to Saudi Arabia at this stage of his career. So, so, so this, yeah, so this is this is what I'm struggling with here. Could Ronaldo, could Manchester United have actually gotten rid of Ronaldo or no? I think if if, if they, I mean, the, the other issue you have with it is that United are historically abysmal at selling players and the wages Ronaldo is on, I, I, I just think it was nigh and impossible to do it this summer. If they were maybe a bit more proactive about it, then they they there probably would have been a club out there, but they don't have an experienced director of football. Um, after the first two games of the season that they'd lost, they only had made three signings at that point, and the focus was very much on incomings at that stage. And where Marshall was injured at the start of the season, they couldn't really just give you know get rid of Ronaldo when he was their best player and top scorer last season when they were struggling for goals and they were in complete disarray at that point. But if they had better forward planning in place and were dealing with these issues earlier in the summer, that was the time to do it. And that's something that's been a failing of United almost every year. They do leave far too many big decisions in the transfer window until the final month of the window. At that point, the season has started and there are a hell of a lot more nuances to factor into the decision-making process. 
the run of fixtures isn't uh, amazing for them <clears throat> over the next while they've got uh, away at Everton which isn't the gimme that it was two weeks ago either side of the uh, Europa League and then it's Newcastle Spurs and Chelsea's um, that, that bit's uh, still to be confirmed but uh, it's a very important month for them it certainly is. Uh, that that Chelsea game is definitely going ahead that day. It's just the kickoff time that, uh, for some perplexing reason, is still not being confirmed. But that week, they'll be playing Tottenham on the Wednesday at home, Chelsea away on the Saturday. I think the month ends with, with West Ham at home as well. And obviously, they only just finished behind United last season. They've, they've been a much poorer team so far this season, West Ham. But you, you could certainly see them putting up a decent fight at Old Trafford. So they, they need to be in a healthy position going into um, the, the World Cup when, when the season is, is suspended until Boxing Day. But I think just among colleagues and talking to supporters, however much United spent at the end of the transfer window and however active um, that they were in those final weeks in signing Casemiro and Anthony, when you still look at that squad, I don't think anybody still thought, well, that's that's top four quality or their certainties to finish in the top four. They are somewhat fortunate that the... Um, the competition is a lot more open this year. Liverpool have done a hell of, have done everyone a, a favour really by um, not looking right and not winning enough games. With with Tottenham and Conte, you, you suspect there will come a point where their supporters rail against Conte's style, and Conte does have a limited shelf life at clubs. Chelsea have already sacked a manager. At the moment, Arsenal are obviously looking uh, very, very good. And apart from City, you'd probably say they're, they're the only other team who look close to a guarantee to qualifying for the Champions League next season through finishing mm. the top four of the Premier League. But United have always got the Europa League to fall back on. But if they were to not be in the Champions League next season, having had a record-breaking summer and in, in, when the financial results were announced next week, it was made abundantly clear they would not be spending um, that. They would not be uh, you know, as, as active next year because of the level of spending of this year. Then it, it could be a, another long, long time until they're a, a credible force again. That, it, that's how it feels because it was like a, a, a dose of cold water on the early season optimism. It was, but even those wins, there were there were caveats to them. The Liverpool win, I mean, they they were stunning in those the first twenty minutes. They absolutely overwhelmed Liverpool, but there was the element of holding on and, and winning the game via a counter attack, which was Solskjaer's favourite tactic. All three goals against Arsenal were counter attacking goals. There was uh, prag- pragmatism underpinned the away wins against Southampton, Leicester. I mean, the, the positives, obviously easily outweighed the negatives over a four-game winning run in the league, as, as they should do, and there was a lot to um, be impressed by them. But the, we were still walking away from games, you know, dwelling on the caveats. And, I mean, that's our job. You've, you've, you've got to look at um, all, all the aspects of the game rather than just be, um, you know... And There's always a danger of just straying into cheerleading mode, but you've got to stick to your guns at times and... And I know Samuel, you're obviously you're Manchester based, but just just finally for me, is there any chat among journalists um, in the sense of what actually is happening at Liverpool, and is everyone just like perplexed by this almost collapse in seven games? Because Man United fans are waking up this morning. There's no Schadenfreude in the sense that, well, we're kind of both in the in a bit of a mess here on a Monday morning, but Liverpool, in, in some respects, more so. It, it, 
I, I mean, it is strange, especially, I know it was only the Community Shield, but that was an extremely competitive game and they were very impressive. You looked at the way they conducted their business in the summer, the major incoming, the major outgoing, both done before July, classic Liverpool, efficient, um, strengthening. You looked at their squad. I mean, I had them down as, um, as my prediction to win the title this season because just because I thought their, their squad was more rounded than City's. But I suppose they have stood still in, in some key areas and some players have, have taken their eye off the ball. I mean, Alexander-Arnold as a defender, I've, I've just never, ever rated. As an attacking right-back, he has raised the bar the way Dani Alves did before him. And when you've got Van Dijk um, gifting chances and not looking himself, you're going to be gifting chances to teams. So I think, it's, I think we're still at the stage where you expect Liverpool to rally and eventually return to their old selves without winning the league this season. I think that that's, that's possibly already gone for them. But I suppose if they're in this situation in a month's time or when the season um, is, is halted for the World Cup, then I think that, that there are going to be some particularly tough questions that are asked of Klopp, who by and large does get quite an easy ride. But that's because he's done such a phenomenal job there in the last seven years. Samuel, great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Uh, OTBAM brought to you each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day it's time for the sports pages there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse I think he's a total spoofer what do you mean a spoofer he's a bullshit. ah no Emma come on don't, don't be no I'm not yes. no Oh, the United fans are out. Griff says United bought Ronaldo. He was there never going to have so many idiots. Oh, second time around. Uh, he was never going to have a resale value. Giving him away on big wages was always going to be difficult. The issue was buying him in the first place. I mean, uh, yeah. Why did they buy Casemiro though if the manager doesn't want him? That's yeah. Uh, Jim Quinn says, "Why buy a five times Champions League winner and not start with him?" Bobby Dwyer, he's pissed off. Uh, Arsenal in the green. Spurs were in it. Lloris made a clangor and then Royal got sent off. Spurs will still finish ahead of them. They are four points ahead with three games to go in May. How did that go for them? Uh, the one thing is, though, they've signed very well, Bobby, you'd have to say. Uh, that. Samuel's point about pressure being on Conte is interesting. If uh, if that were to be the case... Um, it, 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 I think the Spurs fans are so desperate for something good to happen there that they're going to give him plenty of yeah, rope. They... They pro- they just they probably have issues in terms of controlling games and that um you know they're giving up midfield and that was a chasing experience as well. Um, it is funny though Arsenal aren't in the narrative at all. Despite what is an absolutely amazing start. Very great. Uh, well, no one no one believes that they're going to win the league yet. Like finishing second to be a hell of an achievement though. And at well, the moment they're yeah. probably fairly strong favourites finish second because I couldn't have any faith in Liverpool the way they're defending at the moment. Arsenal, Liverpool, Liverpool, Man City. Is there pressure on Klopp afterwards if they lose both games in the sense of why didn't you make these signings? But why have Liverpool just stopped looking like they've any energy? I don't know. It just <clears> makes <throat> it's just baffling. I was always amazed at how they could like maintain their energy throughout the season, but it looks like it's done. Yeah, and I, I you know, well, and there was no sign of a recovery over the course of no the, of the little break. Yeah, bottle jobs. Neville and Keane lead stinging criticism of woeful United after City hit them for six. Six in the city? Do you get it? I like that. Do you get like it? that one, yeah. Do you get it? There you go. Uh, Mannion faces three months on the oh, sideline. Sorry, Foden got a hat-trick, yes. He did, yeah. Foden got a hat-trick in the Manchester <coughs> Derby. He was the first player to score a hat-trick in the Manchester Derby since Alan, like, I, three months, which I saw on Twitter. Yeah. But Foden got a hat-trick. He was pretty amazing as well. He was very He good. actually was. Yeah. 
I thought Jack Grealish was good. He was. And Which you're not allowed to say. Yeah, Grealish was good. They they looked very dynamic. Oh no, Grealish is a flop. You're not allowed to say he's good. Uh, Mannion faces three months in the sideline. Paul Mannion's going to miss the Dublin football final for Croaks after being ruled out for three months. He has had ankle surgery last Thursday and will be out until the start of the National League at the end of January. Uh, that's very, very unfortunate for him and we're not going to get the full opportunity to see Shane Walsh and Mannion in the same team. Walsh kicked, was it six points yesterday as they won the semi? Yeah, eight eight points. Yeah. Uh, done that one. Uh, Have you done um, the end though? Carl Milani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. Good morning, lads. How's it going? How are you? Yeah, What's going on? Very good. I stole the endo. You did today. steal the endo, yeah. We, we folded like a pack of cards during Ten Hag. Furious Ten Hag and um, this is the nice Shinron, I think. Shinron winning their first ever Offaly SHC title and Michael Dignan was there somewhere obviously putting out the medals and Mannion in race to be fit and um, yeah so that was the back of the Indo today Kyle what's well isn't that and, and I know the club split season has been uh, a topic of huge debate but I think it's I think that's an illustration of the success of it that there's two club stories in the back of a national paper mm. Uh, getting the covers that they are. Shinron was a great story in Offaly yesterday. Yeah. Uh, there were a number of games live on television. RT had the Cavan Senior Championship on Saturday night. Did, yeah. The TG Carr had two games for Mayo yesterday. I think it's been a, an overwhelming success so far, the split season. And the big thing that has been in favour of it is any county player that I've seen that has been in the media in the last couple of months it's, have it's been exploding. glowing in their I, I, I honestly think that's the, that, that's very very important Like, and I, I think it's it's almost lost the narrative where a lot of people who follow Gaelic games they kind of flit in and out when the, when the championship is on but yeah. for, for I think for the club scene um, it's good for the club scene. I, I think overwhelmingly there's yeah. there's a, there's a good response to this um, fewer people are paying attention to GA though that's, that's undeniable mm. So by it, it just you have to, I think, take this whole thing in 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 the round. Um, for the participants, it has been great. You'd say for the casual sports fan, it hasn't been great. But what's the point of the organisation? The amateur players. Well, well, exactly. I mean, what's the point of the organisation? Is it to grow the sport mm. and to get more people interested, or is it just to look after you? Is it just a participation thing? Mm. I don't know because it feels like it's a cultural organisation. And it's easier to be more culturally significant if you have a bigger audience all of the time. Just saying, just putting it out there. What would you do? I'd, so they moved the season back a week this year and they're going to move it back a week next year. I, um, Damien Lawler was in the studio last week talking about his book and he was like, uh, they'll probably push it back over a couple of weeks over the next couple of years. And the, the calendar's out for next year, so they're only going one week extra into the season. And next year they'll move it back. I would move it back a full month and say, we're nearly there. This is nearly perfect. But like the Ireland final should be... In August, the last week of August. So yeah. they're certainly like after is it the feast of the Ascension, Ascension? What are, what are those? One of those. Anyway, <laughs> Carl, what do you think? I think as it is, it's been a huge success so far. I think your point is well made about growing the game and the people that it reaches by having your All Ireland finals in a certain window when other things aren't on, and that has kind of that space in the calendar. But I think ultimately it should all come back to what the players feel and what the players want because we don't have a product if we don't have the Shane Walshes and the Con O'Callaghan's and these players lighting it up in Crow Park in the summertime and we've got to help those players have a meaningful club existence as well uh, and I think as I say any media appearance that I've seen from a county player in recent months has been overwhelmingly positive in terms of the split season that it allows them to play with their county and potentially do quite well in the championship series whatever they're in and then have a little bit of time to live their life and then go back and have a meaningful club season. Mm. So they get to be 
I do also, as well as footballers and hurlers. I do also feel a little bit like it'd be great if we could have a club season where what we were doing was watching the club season for yeah. signs of what's going to happen later. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that if you have a great club year, you might end up playing inter-county that year. Mm. Whereas this all feels a little bit like we've had this amazing big party where it's the best thing of all time and it's mm. getting better and better and better and better and better and better. And now it's like back to the club where it's like eight points to six and blanket defence is still do you know what I mean it just feels like it's the wrong order if you could do club first and inter-county second I'd be all up for that mm. yeah and that's what happened in the Covid year wasn't it when we had the, the clubs came back first and yeah. people can watch the county players in action and panels can be picked on that but I, you know I think it's going to be very hard to please everybody but I think they've got fairly close to a calendar that works now and next year is going to be different again with the round robin in the All-Ireland Championship in the mm. football for example Derek Yo says, I disagree, Ger. It's an organisation for its members, not just participants. There are not less people actively involved in GA now than when the intercounty season is on. The game grows from the bottom. I mean, uh, it, the game doesn't just grow from the bottom, is the thing. Like, there are fewer people talking and thinking about uh, Gaelic games at the moment. That, that's like. But, I, yeah, but we're I, in are there over. About the intercounty game, right? The, uh, in September, right? So in September, yeah. there were fewer people thinking about and talking about and also the season was so telescoped that there was no real time to build up narratives or I'd agree talk with that about that, yeah. semi-finals finals like again it's rushed again like not having the schools back uh, um, Michael Meehan made the point that in the build up to an All-Ireland final the schools would have been absolutely in fuego yeah. in Galway and that wasn't ha- that didn't happen and actually you know so I, I, I don't think it's I, I get Dara's point that like Sure, the numbers at uh, training all around the country, but they're the same. Like, you know, the mini leagues are the mini leagues. And they're the same number of people who are at it in summertime, irrespective of what's going on. They kind of exist in a in a separate world almost from... Um, and the club, yeah, fair play. And let's, let's get the figures in, but I don't know. But are there less people talking about GA now, do you think? Or, just, or just nationally, like... Is it, is it, it's a case of... I was at a, I was at a, like a, a ladies' intermediate semi-final in Mount Bellew yesterday paid 10 euro online to get in there were okay. lots of people there great, great atmosphere that is divorced from the inter-county game I was, I was in Parnell Park on Friday night and it was a fairly sizable crowd for mm. the Dublin Camogie final like a, mm. the, the stand was full on the, the seated side the far terrace um, wasn't full but it, it looked like a big big mm. club Camogie crowd to me I, I don't know enough I, haven't, I wouldn't be able to compare with anything like those people are still talking about the game sure and it's the same you know, the Cavan game is big but the Cavan game would have been big anyway mm. what you don't have is that extra bit where the casual football soccer and rugby fans are like all of a sudden mm. oh this Conor Callan guy is pretty good isn't he mm. like and that's important if you want to sell sponsorship and like everybody gives out about the sponsors in GAA but like they're the ones who help to boost the coffers of Croke Park which all the money goes back to the clubs to buy the floodlights, which allows you to have training five nights a week, seven nights a week. And Do you know what I mean? Energy crisis. Like, did anyone? Was there less talk about Shane Walsh's performance in the All Ireland Football Final this year because it was in mm. July rather than September? Mm. Uh, well, I, I I think that there was there wasn't like a three week build up of features about Shane Walsh going. This guy's about to you know. It, it did to, feel he, like that a bit, and the hurling you could get tickets on the day as well, and it was like the, yeah, yeah. No, I take your point about the build up. Yeah. 
I don't know if there's a simple solution to it. I, I think they're looking Push it back a couple of weeks. I think they're looking after the players in general, which I think is is the right way to be because the, the game is about the players. I'm not saying the split season has been a failure. Far from it. I just think that like it's definitely been a success for the players, right? But mm. and that's one constituent core constituents group that you really have to look after and it looks like we've done a very good job of that. But there's definitely we, we need to keep evolving as opposed to a, a revolution. I know it would be a revolution to put the club game first, but like I actually think you know, and I think uh, getting rid of the league and having one proper intercounty championship where everybody would show some mobility up and down the divisions and a set number of games where you're gonna everybody's gonna play twelve intercounty games. That's it all season, and then after that there'll be playoffs. That would be amazing. But uh, anyway, sure. Look, get rid we, of the provincials. We could have done that, but we we couldn't do that. We could have done that, but we couldn't do that. What else is going on, Carl? Uh, well, there's some action tonight in the Premier League. Leicester City take on uh, fellow strugglers Nottingham Forest. Kick off for that one at the King Power is at 8 o'clock. Comes off the back of yesterday's two games. Manchester City 6, Manchester United 3. And Leeds United nil. Aston Villa nil were the two results from yesterday afternoon. Action here tonight as well in the SSE Electricity League Premier Division. Shelburne hosts St. Pat's at Talca Park. Kick off there is at a quarter to eight. Uh, Ryan did you see uh, Jack Byrne's little cameo on the showgrounds on Saturday? Yes, I did. I'd written off Jack Byrne and Sharmac Rovers, obviously, because you got to keep things interesting and then they obliterated Sligo and Jack's obviously Joy and Doe's commentary has gotten a lot of chat but there is you know it was mentioned on Saturday would Jack make a difference to Ireland in some respects he would there aren't many Irish players who actually could do what he did on Saturday but they've made the title race that was interesting for about an hour a little bit less interesting still interesting though it's no? still, they still have to play Derry yeah they still have they to play Derry they have a few Derry. T- tough games yeah but burn that little swivel oh, on the ball through and Dylan brilliant. Watts is like yeah. again yeah so, uh, yeah, Shamrock Rovers, five points clear now, aren't they? So, yeah, going to be an interesting uh, title running, but that game's on tonight at Talca Park. Pats against Shelburne from uh, a quarter to eight. Uh, Ryan Fox won the Alfred Dunhill Links Championship at St Andrews yesterday, finished on 15 under par. He won by a shot. Rory McElroy was close, but he ended in a tie for fourth on 13 under. Porrick Harrington uh, was nine under par. Max Verstappen will have to wait at least one more week to be confirmed as the formerly won world champion for a second time. He finished seventh at the rain-affected Singapore Grand Grand Prix. His teammate Sergio Perez was the winner ahead of Ferrari Charles Leclerc. We mentioned Paul Mannion, who looks set to miss the remainder of Kilmacud Croke's season. He's undergone surgery on an ankle injury and is expected to be out for up to three months. He Croke's advanced to the Dublin football final yesterday after a six-point win over Thomas Davis. Elsewhere on the club scene, Shinron are celebrating a first-ever Offaly hurling sen- senior hurling title. They beat Kilcormac Kalahi yesterday by 26 points to 213. And in Leash, Clock Balakala claimed their third title in a row with a 124 to 16 points win over Cam Ross. Disappointment last night in snooker for Mark Allen. He lost out in the British Open final to Ryan Day of Wales by 10 frames to 7 in Milton Keynes and there's a 7 race card at Tipperary this afternoon where the first goes to post at a quarter to 2. Uh, Brian Cody is back involved with James Stevens, according to Christy O'Connor's piece in The Examiner today. And um, Who would have thought Brian just couldn't stay away from the game? turned things around so they're going to be uh, <clears throat> they won the semi-final against Dixbury yesterday by 3 points so uh, he'll be certainly on the sideline or maybe he'll be in the stand looking down the eye in the sky in Nolan Park for the final but uh, it'll add some numbers to the gate no doubt have a little sympathy for his comparable Alex Ferguson looking on yesterday and this glum glum horrible expression like he was he did not enjoy it no they're off their perch OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effort to finish your day good stuff Carl thanks for that thanks, Alan Quinlan is live in studio next first here's Brian Kerr talking with Nathan wondering just what's going on with Casemiro at Manchester United Talking about desire, I'm probably really talking about De Bruyne at times in that first half, who 
is so strong in possession of the ball who got back won it and the intent that he shows to drive forward again and again and then the quality of his passing and Nathan you know something we never mentioned today was the fact that they all played international football during the week or we mentioned it very very little on, on particular players but these guys were all away playing matches you know would have only got back uh, probably late Wednesday or some stage on Wednesday probably trying Thursday a little bit on Friday would have been recovery stuff initially so wouldn't have been a huge amount of time to do those tactical training sessions Manchester United looked like that I have to say in comparison but you're right I mean I love I love Kevin De Bruyne I probably admire Bernardo Silva a bit more because he's had to wait to be a bit of a glory boy in this team in this club with, where David Silva was the main man Aguero was considered so highly Bernardo Silva just season after season turns around the delicacy of touch he's, and he's such a slight looking lad as well you think um, will there be too much power in the game for him will he get brushed but, but no not at all he runs the show with the Bruyne Gundogan excellent to discuss it with Joe before the match how will how will how will Everywhere they be? Will they be? Will they be? How will they be affected by Rodri? But it didn't matter today because they were just they were so good. I think the balance they had, even without Rodri, was much better than Manchester United's balance in the middle. The balance wasn't quite right with uh, Christian Eriksen and. Um, McTominay but Bruno Fernandes McTominay at least had one defensive player they needed another defensive toy player in there I think if Hanag had his time again he would say maybe I should have played Consumero from the start I mean you think of his role in Real Madrid in the last couple of seasons where in big games they often sit, absorb pressure and use the pace of Vinicius Junior Benzema on the counter-attack and score goals and win the game as they did in the Champions League final without much of the ball that might have been the type of recipe Manchester United should have had today. Yeah, yeah, that might have been interesting if they had picked him, but they didn't, and uh, a 6 3 spanking resulted. Alan Quinlan is with us. Quinny, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How, How are, are you? you? What's good going things. on? Uh, not much. Uh, my beloved Liverpool are going bad. We're in big, big trouble, but anyway. What's happened? <sighs> Haven't moved. I saw a great interview with uh, Guardiola over the weekend there with Rio Ferdinand and. He was talking about change and change and change. Constantly evolving, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I don't know. I'm not a soccer expert, mm. but um, not yet. Anyway, we we were guilty of that back in Munster, back in the day, maybe mm. not of changing when we had the success. Look, you learn as you go on, and you can see you see what ha- what's happened since. You know, um, I think when you're successful, that's the time to actually make those couple of changes. Cody probably did it a lot, didn't mm. he? Look at Kenny. He was successful at doing all right. Well, he, then he had the players. Is the other thing, like he had an yeah, you need depth. There's no fighting. That's the making change for the sake of it. Um, when when guys are pretty even and, and level and kind of competing with each other in training and stuff, you know, you can you can make those changes when you have the depth. Uh, let's talk about Ulster and Leinster. Um, Leinster dominant in the first half. Ulster come back into the game. <clears throat> What's the truth of this scenario? Is it a second half collapse from Leinster or a bit of complacency? <laughs> I have to be fair to Ulster here. Um, I think they're a good side. Um, they've shown that in the first couple of rounds. Very dominant against Connacht and great win away in Scarlets. But Leinster, when they have this team out and the vast majority of those players are just at a different level, they were pretty comfortable at 20 points to three. Um, inevitable reaction that you would get. Um, but I think Aaron Sexton drops the ball near just under 70 minutes going over the line, which would have been 
a wonderful try given the conditions just the execution the passing and the timing if they'd given that as a Leinster fan I would have been like okay I can see there's a bit of downward pressure with a bit of the hand I <clears throat> you know yeah, we can talk about Niall Scannell's one in a minute <clears throat> the Munster game you need to have some sort of control okay you know if someone knocks the ball out as well and goes backwards but yeah fair enough Charlene Gattai brilliant from him great defence it just shows never give up when a guy is going for a line he gets a hand in there you know, it would have made it um, a little bit nervy for the last few minutes. That would have brought it to possibly 2017. Yeah, because um, there was a few was scrums that they lost uh, after that. And they kept giving the ball back to Ulster to go, here, have one more go. And I'll have another go. It's just the body languages. And I always say this, you know, Leinster just look, they looked pretty comfortable. And, and you know, Ulster beat them twice last year and have rattled strong Leinster teams in the last number of years. But um, it's a bit of a frightening prospect again when they get going there. They were very dominant in that first half. Would Balakun maybe have scored that try if he wasn't uh, down in South Africa? Well, it's, he's right, it's the wrong side for him, but Sexton is still very, very fast. But I think um, you need to transfer the ball. I suppose like, I'm being slightly facetious. Leinster have obviously uh, got a load of players who are away with the Emerging Ireland team but actually they can absorb the loss because the strength that they have Ulster maybe can't absorb the loss as much I don't know does it matter they're only missing um, you'd still expect them to be able to they're only missing a couple Henderson is missing and Balakun that would have probably started so they're they're not so it's actually a bit deflating for Ulster is it well a little bit now look second half much more encouraging and I think Ulster are very you know, they're a sharp side who execute very well. They're an exciting side to watch. They're just, after that probably dominance in the first game against Connacht and last week, they just came up a little bit short. OK, they did get a mall try from John Andrew in that second half. It was 20 points to three and 60 minutes. Leinster are comfortable. Um, I think they've made a couple of changes themselves. Um, so look, it, that may sound a little bit unfair to Ulster, but it just shows Leinster... What Dan McFarlane was asked um, afterwards, like, what's the what's the difference and Leinster are better than us at the moment? And that's true, right? That's There's a pecking order here. Because <clears throat> we, we, you were asked, I think, you were, uh, was it you asked what the what's the overall pecking order? Beyond, be, be behind Leinster. <clears throat> yeah, and it was second. Like, so um, at the moment, that's still the case. They are still second, but they've now got clear indication of just how far behind they are. Yeah, I just think on as I said on the day um, in the last couple of years, they've they've put in really good performances and they've actually caused uh, Leinster problems. But I just thought it was it was telling the the shape and body language and the, and the performance of Leinster, particularly in that first half. Leinster piled everything at them for the first five or ten minutes, and Leinster's defence is rock solid. And then they just changed the course of the game. Ryan Bear gets a great try, and then Dan Sheehan. You know, off them all again, and just their decision making, their shape, their accuracy is 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 just so much more better than than the others really. But um, Ulster can take some comfort out of the second half. Certainly, it was it was more dynamic. Um, they were much better in what they were trying to do. But you know, like I say, Leinster could have kicked on and, and won the game by more. Did they switch off a little bit? Maybe. Who knows? But um, I think they're very. They've shown that they're very, very good at what they do again. Okay, so nothing to uh, concern Leinster supporters about the fact that Ulster got back in the game. That's going to happen. Well, they've got Jenkins is making a difference from as well. You know what I mean? Um, And then you have James Ryan and Johnny Sexton coming back, and you just look at the names. Robbie Henshaw just every time he plays, just I go, man, he's 
he's just as hard as nails and he's just one of these professionals that turns up week after week I'm not saying he has the best game week after week but he just is so competitive his body language his energy his pride in what he's trying to do tackles um, I just think he's a real example to anyone who can emotionally switch off mm. in New Zealand test match and over the summer winning a series and rainy night and Friday night in Belfast where it was a rainy night yeah and I, I do you know what that's that's a, that's unbelievable Johnny mm. you know what, what's, what's the without Sexton how are they looking with the view to when you're thinking of when they, whenever Sexton is done and Byrne has come in what, what are Leinster looking like in terms of fluidity of their attack without Sexton that, that we've seen in the last couple of years a couple of times when Sexton hasn't been there I thought when he came off in the Champions Cup final um, you know he's such a such a really good player. We've seen it with Ireland. I just think his his composure and control under pressure is is, uh, is is very good. He's shown that. That's something that you know. And I heard Leo Cullen speaking about that. Life goes on. People get older. Things change. That would be a challenge for him. You can't just replace somebody of that stature. They've tried. Munster have tried for the last ten years since Ron Rogara has gone. Um, and it's difficult players of that quality um, to get this like for like um, I think Ross Byrne is, is very very capable um, both the Byrne brothers have talent and ability there I think Kieran Frawley has been kind of pushed in that direction now to see if he can kind of mm. um, be the next one that, that kind of plays at that top level but it's difficult but um, we just have to wait and see on that one, you know. Let's talk about the other two provinces then. Um, so, Bulls 28, Connacht 14, and um, Munster beat Zebra in a game in Cork that uh, they're not getting any credit for. Uh, were they were they bad? Was it what, why why are people not saying, "Oh, we've turned a corner here with Munster"? Because obviously they don't believe it. Yeah, just to talk about the Connacht one first, it was always going to be difficult for them. You know, when you're going away to Ulster, Stormers, and Bulls. The, the reality with the South Africans Jared, this year is three or four of them could be in the playoffs um, they've really embraced this they've seen it as something that uh, can really propel them forward um, they've got themselves organised they're very very powerful and strong and they're capable of going on the road and winning matches all four won again at the weekend um, so it was a really difficult start for Connacht and you know, I think with the Bundyaki situation a week before, he's he's one player that you'd love to have in that kind of situation, even for the Munster game on Friday night. But they were they were really poor, uh, so many mistakes and errors. And you know, defensively, they're porous. I think um, that's a that's probably the biggest concern. Very talented players and uh, just making a lot of mistakes and errors. And and their coaches said that, but the. They've conceded 15 tries in three games. It's very difficult to win games with that, isn't it? You and know, that was a problem that. last season as well. So they, unfortunately, it seems and last like season they were scoring, which in in matches they were high scoring games. So they're not not scoring now. So um, it's a real concern and a worry. But it's been a very difficult start. You know, they've they asked for the first couple of games to be away from home because of installing a new 4G pitch. Which, what do you make of that, by the way? It's 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 a load of Rubbish, really. Well, like, You've wh- whatever. Get the pitch I- on, but you don't. You don't go asking a league to put you away for the first couple of games. Mm. I think it's too risky. Someone will disagree with me in, in Connacht or within 
Um, it's a challenging one. You want to try and get the pitch down, new pitch, but surely you could have got your timing a bit better and got it done over the summer. And, and you know, they haven't even trained in it yet. Mm. So they're going to play. They come back from South Africa yesterday, a long, long journey, a uh, couple of training sessions this week. And, you know, at least they're home this week. And if they beat Munster Friday night, which they're well capable of doing, um, well, then they're back on track and they'll say it was worth it. But losing your first three, putting yourself in a position of having to win this fourth game or it's the worst start since 2006, you know, the year after they won the league under Pat Lamb, his last year, it just makes it a bit more difficult. So it was risky business making that decision to the, do the it that way. The move to the, the surface itself, um, like this would be a debate now in Galway because... Terryland as a, as a football pitch has an awful lot of game time on it. It's an amazingly good pitch, but there is a debate: should we go down the Astro route? I I, I just I hate Astro, and now in rugby, it's becoming a thing as well. It is. It's kind of guaranteeing you, you know, underfoot conditions in every match. But what's it like to play on though? It's like whatever about football. I mean, you're going into contact on that surface. I think you only played once on it. Um, I, I wouldn't have liked it. We trained a lot on it. Mm. Um, it's different. Um, the current players you probably have to ask them that I think obviously it gives you a drier ball even in wet conditions it gives you a mm. better chance of, of seeing more attacking rugby and stuff like that but they've got to do that now on Friday and really find a performance against a team you mentioned um, I think confidence is a big thing for both sides because even though the decisions to be away from home and a really, it, it, really, really tough start. It's very difficult for any side to have to do what Connacht have done. Um, but the mistakes and the errors are, are creeping in there and they're not scoring the tries. And they showed a fight back on Friday against the Stormers in the second half. But I don't know if any team, even Leinster included, you know, can cope with that power and that physicality. And they showed it last year. Um, in the RDS so it was a very difficult difficult couple of matches for them but they've got to you know be better as well I think challenge themselves better and cut out the mistakes and they're similar to Munster Um, confidence timing cohesiveness is an issue and Munster were really bland in that second half against Zebra and Cork and it's it's a worry it's a concern they look like they're lacking a bit of spark they've 10 guys away in South Africa with the emerging Ireland they'd 9 involved in the match on Friday Alex Kendellan wasn't wasn't involved in the match because um, I don't know why he had heavy knock the week before as well um, so yeah confidence is a big thing for them and uh, it's it's a worry um, Is there uh, like patience because it's a new You've no choice with Munster at this stage you can throw the toys out of the pram and we can all give out and, and say this that and the other we have to judge them probably fairly but I think the players themselves, um, and I, I said this last week, and I'll, I'll probably end up saying it again on the podcast this week. The basics you've got to try and fix yourself. You know, you can the collision areas. You need more work on that. You know, you need to get you need to get more contact and more kind of pad work and stuff like that and technique. Because no matter what level of player you're at, if you're an international, you need to condition the body. But it's like doing your pre-season, so. Munster are undercooked in that area and it's it's pretty telling. Um, they're giving away a lot of penalties. Their accuracy at the breakdown is poor. And and then you have, on top of that, and I think it seems to be deflating for the players, they're making errors and mistakes. They're dropping balls which are, 
you know, very, very basic. So I think they need to find some sort of a spark. And they're lacking kind of, you know, you watch the game on TV or you're at the match and there's a feeling there that I kind of felt once or twice in the first half there was a little bit of that energy and spark that they need. And then it just, no control, no leadership in that second half. And, you know, I feel sorry for Peter Manny and I can openly say this, you know, I watched him the last two weeks. Um, he's renowned for his doggedness and his competitiveness. And I'm just talking about Henshaw there a few minutes ago with Leinster, the way he just turns up every week. Um, not necessarily having their best game, but I love to see that fight. And I, again, Omani's doing it again at the weekend. And he just it needs to be more fellas doing it with him. Um, he made some mistakes. Tigburn was very good this week. Showed his quality a little bit stale. I think they're week. all going to get better. I, I think <coughs> they are going to get better, and I think you know it's hard, it was a hard second half now to yeah. watch. But is there is there a there date? Has to be some sort of patience here <coughs> for me, a is, period. Is there a date when we expect RG Snyman back? It's a kind of in, I think indefinite. he's close. I think the announcement last week was 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 on the back of a setback. Right. Previous weeks that wasn't ages you ago. Know, you don't come out and say this stuff straight away because yeah. you cause panic and stuff. He had a little bit of a cartilage issue, I believe, and that sorted. Very minor kind of thing that sets you back three or four weeks. Okay, I think so. November after the I moment. would imagine so. I think I don't. Again, I don't have an exact date, but I think they're hopeful. And um, like he's not going to fix everything. If you put an RG Snyman into the team straight away. He, Munster aren't going to be brilliant I think collectively the players have to look at themselves and get better yeah. push themselves more to be fair Ger, they've played 41 players in the first three league games if, yeah. if, we, if we say that's Leinster it's different because yeah. I think there's so many gaps in the standards of and they need guys. to find out what they've got yeah, yeah. so the, right. a little bit of patience unfortunately is required but right. it's worrying more stuff from Alan on the Red 78 podcast this week. Good stuff. Thanks a million, Alan. Cheers. Cheers. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's 11 minutes past nine. Here's what's on the OTB Sports Radio for you today. Uh, OTB Gold at one o'clock is Harry Edwards talking about the OJ Simpson documentary. Splunk is at three. Uh, classic Ken Doherty chat at four. And Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali at six. And then the show is live tonight with Joe Malloy in the hot seat. We're back after these with the former Manchester City defender Neda Manua to reflect on a simply glorious day for City. He fertilizes his own mystery, I think, you know, by uh, some of the some of the stuff he says, and um, none more so than the interview he gave to David Gillick um, last week after the World Championship. And I, I presume it's purposely uh, opaque and uh, uh, mystifying. Uh, until you read uh, what uh, Mark Gallagher has said about his reading materials that he uh, he 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 swallows and he 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 likes reading, so <clears throat> he's an enigma to me uh, because <clears throat> I would have thought uh, uh, that having achieved everything that he's achieved, that it would have dampened the flame a little bit, or that he wouldn't be as uh, keen for success, and. I've read him incorrectly, it seems. Uh, this, is, this is a guy that is just doing this uh, for fun and for uh, a pastime. The medals, the glory, the attention, uh, the, the fame or infamy or potential wealth that might come with it are secondary, tertiary, you know, not even gains in his, uh, in, in, in his book. He's completely devoid of any interest in that, in that kind of thing. Uh, and that's what's mystifying to me. Uh, and um, he studied physiotherapy. Now he's back to, uh, into his final year of medicine. It seems to be falling right for him time-wise that he'll finish uh, his uh, medicine. Uh, and then 
I'm not sure what he's going to do uh, for the year prior to Paris uh, because he should be an intern then and um, mm. the horrific times uh, uh, or hours that he'll have to put in then. How's, how's he going to do his training? But he just seems indestructible. Uh, and um, I... Full of admiration for him, full of admiration for him, um, full of admiration for any rower that can do anything like that. It's a sport that uh, I find, uh, if I wasn't a swimmer, that's the sport that I would think uh, I would have loved to have done that. You oh, know, I would have loved to have done that. Because that is miserable. Yeah. Barbaric. Uh, miserable, uh, tough, tough, you know. It's boring uh, it's and it's monotonous. <laughs> And you're, you're saying swimming up and down in a swimming pool and not talking or uh, having I'm anything. Sorry, I wouldn't uh, go near swimming either. <laughs> <laughs> at least you well, talk. Yeah. Well, well, you could talk at the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, I just I just find that uh, very appealing. Um, now, there's a bit in this article as well where obviously Paul has taken the mickey about you know they're all farmer sons and uh, it's a link in with the National Dairy Council who are obviously supporting him. But um, so he's no fool with the media, it yeah. would seem. Uh, and I think that at times the media are being played by him. Uh, and uh, I just say fair play to him. Uh, and I hope that he goes on and uh, is successful in Paris as well. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 15 minutes past nine. I'm delighted to say we've got Neda Manua with us. Neda, good morning to you. How are you? I'm not too bad today, thank you. How are you? I'd say, uh, I, I presume, are you are you a Manchester City fan? I mean, everybody knows you're associated with the club as a player. I, are yes. you automatically... Okay. So, yes, I'm very much that, but I'm, I'm like the old school fan who is always pained and doesn't look forward to derbies, but I do enjoy these results, to be honest. Well, I was going to say, then this must be the afterglow of... Because, like, whatever about the other big wins that City have had over the years in the derby, this is one where you know this is a sweet spot that it, it might not end for a while this is like so dominant so far ahead so great best player yeah, in the world it, it can't yeah. get any better well it, it obviously can because you know we could beat them or City could beat them 7-3 next time and so on but I think the positive for me personally having been involved in these derbies and watched them from a distance for so long is that some of my friends are United fans their biggest thing I could say yesterday was well we won the second half and you guys thought you were going to celebrate 6-1 haha it was actually 6-3 so it's, we've come, City have come a long, long way. If these can be the conversations that are out there right now, what's what's that? What's that um, atmosphere like? You know, um, Ned, in between, like Man United fans, this is a fairly humiliating um, loss of that hierarchy. Where uh, you know, when I grew up, Liverpool, Liverpool were just on the decline and couldn't couldn't get past Manchester United. Now Manchester United are like they've been subservient to Liverpool, but like the. The small Manchester City rivalry that existed is now like we're actually miles behind these guys. Yeah, I, to be honest though, even going into this game, there have been times where United have won at um, the Etihad before. I think this mm. game for some reason tends to favour the away team. So as you arrive, you never really know how the result's going to go. But what we've seen over the last few years is that the result itself doesn't really matter as much as say it did when Vincent Company scored a header and City go on to win a league title. And I think that's ultimately the shame because you can have the bragging rights, but... You know, these two teams, they, they aspire to win Premier League titles, to win other trophies and the like. So I think for the United standpoint, these would have been this would have been a very nice victory for them because they've won four in a row as well. But instead, they end up being humiliated. Now they're asking questions and they're sort of wondering how far away they are from City, who come the end of the season might win it all or might win nothing. I think um, 
it'd be remarkable for them not to win anything from this point, given <laughs> given how amazing Haaland is. Uh, we we've run out of superlatives to talk about Haaland, but we're going to need to find some new ones because, um, you know, uh, it's like oh, he's not going to score a hat trick again, is he? He's not going to yes. score. He's not going to score a hat trick again, is he? And then it's like the third time. Could he? Could he do it again? And now, yeah. you know, it it is ridiculous. Yeah, it certainly is, and I think history is kind of split, created two groups now. There are the people who've got him as captain on fantasy football, and people who don't. And unfortunately, <laughs> I'm the person who doesn't. So I suffer every time the ball goes in. So it's a little celebration, but he's been absolutely incredible. And you do think it has to stop. It has to stop. But then, in the same breath, you wonder why does it have to stop? Because some of the stuff that he's doing, although it is incredible. It's been assisted by someone like Kevin De Bruyne behind him, by Bernardo Silva around him, by Grealish, by Mares, by Foden. So the supply line is as good as probably any strikers. Just, probably just had on that, Nedham, I think that, that, that that's a key thing. Right? If you look at Haaland's development, you look at him when he's playing in Germany, you need Haaland to be outside the box, basically, as much as you can keep him outside the box. It's, it, it just seems to be like if you've any breakdown of the ball here, what do you do? I was watching the two centre-backs yesterday and at no point were you comfortable that they had any idea what they were going to do when the ball came into the box to deal with them. They were, at, at, at times, they weren't even looking at him because, I don't know, they, they seemed as flustered as anyone else. Yeah, that, I, I would agree with that. And I think the third goal probably sums it all up because how is he able to have essentially what is just a first-time finish uncontested? when he's got basically 4v1 against him in the box. I think at times you really need to know where he's at all points. But then also you need to knock him off his stride. Like It's not to say that he's going to be stronger than him, but just slightly slow him down. Somebody try and engage with him. Maybe a winner header like he did over McTominay for his first, but at least make it harder for him. And I think that's where they kind of messed up overall because, you know, the 1v1 battles against him, nobody wants it. But as two centre-backs, you've got the numerical advantage. Can you disrupt him? But instead... You know, as well, probably didn't get helped by the midfielders because Kevin De Bruyne and the others were able to put great balls into the box. And lo and behold, if the ball goes into the right area, Haaland seems to find it, seems to score at the minute as well. Can I ask you just a little bit about Grealish and, and um, his role in all this? Because I thought he played really well yesterday, but it's not going to show up in the stats that no. everybody's like, oh, no assists, no goals, another one, he's a bust. But actually, mm. he was dangerous. He took players on. He made the right pass. He didn't give the ball away the way sometimes he's prone to do. Yeah. Are, are we seeing him finally blossoming fitting in understanding what his role is what 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 do you think yeah you'd like you'd like to think so i think first in the fact that he was trusted to play in this game you know this is this was a big game it's a big moment and the team was getting a sense of momentum so to know that Grealish is one of the main guys within that that's a positive in itself and i think you, you're right the way he did play in that game was great he's not ended up scoring he's not ended up with an assist but for example he got dallow a yellow card within the first five minutes of the game mm. which then puts dallow on the back foot and Dallow in recent weeks in the four wins United have had, he's been able to be more front foot and be more aggressive with the people he's up against. So that type of thing suppresses you. And then the moment he's on the yellow, Grealish keeps running at him and he makes him uncomfortable. And this is where some of the spaces can come from because they know they have to defend him differently. So I think it's good to see him being like that. It's good to see him running with the ball, but more importantly, good to see him running without the ball and getting a sense of where he needs to be. And I think if he didn't play well, then the game wouldn't have gone as well as it did yesterday because for, for City, it was all 11 players that were really in sync. That's why, you know, in the first half, they scored the four or whatever it was, and it could have been six, could have been seven. I think that goes a long way against a side who are doing reasonably well, we thought, in Man United. Yeah, and, you know, pre-season, if you told us that um, the the team for the first derby was going to have the centre-back partnership that it had yesterday, people would have been like, no, that can't be the case. But, um, you know, it wasn't the first-choice centre-back partnership, is what we were told pre-game. Is it not now? Are they are they becoming first-choice? <laughs> um 
I don't know. I don't know how he picks his centre-backs because in the past I've seen him rotate them quite a lot. Like I think two seasons ago when he went on a great defensive run, there was Stones, there was Diaz and there was Laporte as well. And he would kind of mix them up. But I think it's just incredible the depth that they have. Obviously, you know, there's a lot to do that with the money that they have. But then it's the nature of the spending because Akanji being brought in, with sometimes people talk about him like he's been brought in from a mid-table championship side who's going to try and fill in for a couple of weeks. Like this is a full switch international who's playing Champions League with Dortmund beforehand. And then with uh, Nathan Ake playing in there, this is a full Dutch international. You know, they say, oh, but is he this? He's just been playing alongside Virgil van Dijk for the past two weeks on international duty. So even though they may not appear to be our first choice, they're still very, very good. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there at the football club. And I think the way that they played with the level of aggression, the speed that they had, and overall, you know, they suppressed United very, very well in that first half. And that kind of broke their spirit. So first choice doesn't necessarily mean that the drop-off is going to be that great as far as City go but it might lower the ceiling perhaps just a little bit. Yeah. I just wanted to ask about them specifically as players. So what type of centre-back is Akanji? Obviously, we've seen him now play for, for City mm. in big games. He's getting picked. Uh, we had an interview with him a little bit earlier on in the post-match where he just looks like a really confident lad who mm. knows exactly, I, I should be here, I deserve to be here. You know, um, what, what, How would you describe him as a centre-back? Um, so from what I've seen of him from his time at Dortmund and now his time at City, you know, somebody who's very composed on the ball, but more importantly, from the defensive standpoint, he's always wanting to engage with the striker. So you're never really going to have a ton of time to get the ball turned, run at him and so on. And he's very competitive. Do you know, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, my friends when he's both in Vincent Company. Like Vinny was incredible. One of the things I admired the most about him was the fact he was relentless. And Akanji kind of has that feel to him. You know, if a ball's coming in the box, he wants to get his head to it. If somebody's coming short, he wants to go with them. If someone's going to run in behind, he's going to contest everything. But like I say, more importantly for the City side, he's very, very calm and composed on the ball, makes good decisions, doesn't want to go and play 60, 70 yard diagonals, just wants to play the right pass, wants to stop attacks, and he doesn't dive in. And I think that's one thing that attackers kind of hate. They hate defenders who don't dive in because then they have to work harder to get past them. And then Akanji, the moment you get too close, his physical presence will come in and the way he reads the game, and before you know it, he'll take the ball away from you and then start the next attack because he's so front foot with the way he wants to play as well. He might be first, sorry, he might yeah. be first choice for the rest of or at the moment, he might be first choice. So it's, it's him plus one, is it? Like that's, I'm wondering is... Nah, I wouldn't even say that. I wouldn't even say that. Right, Just okay. because with having Ruben Diaz on the bench and Laporte being on the bench as well, needing game time, Coming into this month leading to the World Cup when they've got nine games or whatever it is, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw multiple partnerships purely based on the nature of the teams they're playing against and just how many minutes people have had in the in the weeks leading up to it. So I wouldn't read too much into it until the end of the season for City because that's when I think they tend to stick with the same side. Ned, and we, we've been on since half seven this morning. We've only like five or six minutes left and Jerry's asking questions about Manchester City's defensive pairing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Who cares? Like, I am wondering with Guardiola, right? He is striving for perfection. After the yeah. Newcastle game, I, I got the impression from him, he's like, okay, it was three all. But wow, that was an amazing game of football and we contributed. Yesterday, like, does he even care that they're conceding? They are coughing up goals here and there. Does, does, does yeah. it, does it matter anymore? Or will it, will it, like, will it be that problem again in the Champions League where they come up short? Because they're just going to score eight if you score seven. Yeah, I think there was, I think it was a bit conflicted because I was at the game yesterday and I was in the press area. And one thing which I saw at the start of the second half, he was very, very animated, more so than he'd been in the first half. And this was this was before United had even scored their goal. He was getting very, very frustrated with little details. And I think that's where his success comes from. It's mm. the sort of understanding of the details. And he's trying to drill into the players, do this, do this, do this. And they were slightly getting it wrong. And they were being punished for it. So even though the team scored three and they've won, 
you know, there'll be some level of disappointment because you'll have a sense of sympathy for Edison in goal. You'll have a sense of sympathy for the defenders in terms of people working harder in front of them. And he doesn't want to have, in my opinion, any sort of drop in standard. You can The game can still be 4-0 and you can go 0-0 second half and just seal the deal. But I think they showed some weaknesses, which maybe he won't be happy with. He'll take the six goals. He'll take the three points. But again, he's a perfectionist, which is why he's uh, been as successful as he has been. And De Bruyne as well, you know, considering it took him time to get fully fit last season. Um, like Phil Foden got a hat-trick yesterday and nobody's talking yeah. about this. He got a hat-trick in a, in a Manchester derby. A, yeah. An amazing hat-trick. But then De Bruyne, like De Bruyne, some of his passing this year, and I know it's De Bruyne, yeah. but it's like, holy crap, like this guy's yeah. back. Yeah, it, it's, it's great to see him playing week in, week out, looking like he's enjoying his football because I think at the start of last year, off the back of the Champions League final where I think he broke his cheekbone or something, off the back of the Euros where he was tired as well. You know, that first bit of the season last year wasn't the best for him, but now he's enjoying it. He's enjoying having somebody who he can try and play these balls to. And he's reaping the rewards because the guy he's playing them to keeps to be, seems to be scoring all the time. And he's really, really confident, really understands his role within the team, one of the senior players within it. And that's the look of somebody who's very, very settled, somebody who's happy. And it's a joy to watch because some of the balls he plays, it's the type of thing which in theory we see but in reality, we can't play. Yeah. But for him, he sees it, he plays it, and somebody's there, and somebody scores. So he's basically playing a video game. When when he's at his best, he's basically playing a video game. We, That's we the only way I can We did speak it. about that the the ball to Haaland as well for the second. Is that like, did this actually happen? It's just like because you're yeah. defying a lot of things by this. The the way that the pass is insane. But like, can any striker engineer that sort of position and make it mm. almost look very very straightforward as well? When it was ridiculous. Yes, it certainly was. And it sort of makes you think. So, so for me, as a former defender, like, I look, I, every time I see a goal, I wonder, like, what was the cause? And I wonder what mm. could, I could have done myself. And the answer is nothing. The speed that Haaland is pulling off to the back post and the nature of the ball that Kevin De Bruyne puts in, you know, that's the type of stuff where you hold your hands up and say, that's special. That really, really is special. And I think in some ways, we need to make the most of seeing these sorts of link ups because it's as good as I think we've seen in Premier League history. Yeah, and look, you you, uh, you introduced the, the fans' stereotypical note of caution, let's not get too carried away, or actually let's live in the moment and enjoy this, because who knows, like, is this the one season where Pep Guardiola stays, wins the Champions League and rides off into the sunset? How long does De Bruyne and Haaland and this group stay? Like, no team is ever the same from season to season, so I don't no. know. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because it seems like you don't know what the future looks like for City. You know, obviously I'm a bit biased with this, but I'd like to see them win the Champions League, not least because they've been one of the best teams in Europe for the past few years anyway. And I think that sort of accolade for them will be a, you know, be a huge badge of honour for the football club and the players that have been involved. You know, obviously it requires a lot of good fortune, a lot of good play, you know, and, and there are tons of really good teams in Europe at this moment in time. But that would be nice. But it'd be a shame if Pep ended up leaving. But then also, it's not within his nature to stay as long as he has done already. So you're always wondering, like, what's next? But if Pep leaves at some point in the future, if it's off the back of success, it is what he is. He deserves the right to go wherever. And then whoever comes in has got some of the best players in the Premier League and in world football just ready and willing to go. So, yeah, who knows? I'd like to see them do well. I'd like to see them dominate. But only if they're playing well. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to be. That's what it's going to need to take for them to be able to lift up that trophy, which they've not such yet. Nobody can stop them in the Premier League this season, though, right? Not even this Arsenal side. Well, hey, listen, Arsenal, Arsenal still top. Arsenal still top. Arsenal. This is the this is the thing that I think goes missing sometimes. Like if you beat the say the bottom ten teams twice over, that's sixty points. Mm. You know, and Arsenal are beating teams who are down there. 
Arsenal could lose twice to City and still go on and win a Premier League title. So for context, like it's about the consistency. That's why Liverpool, twice City, that's why they get those 90 plus points every year. It feels like it's not necessarily because they beat each other head to head. It's all the other stuff. So I think for City, they have to continue to do what they've done historically. And for Arsenal, can they manage to maintain this sort of like ruthless nature, which they have, especially as the season progresses? Because they're playing U- uh, Europa League. So that's Thursday, Sunday. And also Thursday, Sundays, they hit a bit differently to the Wednesday, Saturdays, like you'll sometimes play in, the, in Champions League games. After a derby win like that, do you just accidentally have to call in on all your Manchester United supporting mates for the next uh, week or so? Listen, I, I do not have to do that. I do not have to do that. But my concern was that if City lost, they'd all remember my number again. But <laughs> I'm just going to say, now I'm going to see United fans say, I'm really sorry, but I'm sure better times are ahead. Oh, it's the patronising. That's like It's very rare you yes. get to patronise your mates, but uh, you, yes. you need to take advantage of it every time you do. Nedham, brilliant exactly. to have you on. Thanks a million for making the time for us. Really appreciate yes. it. Cheers. Th- Thank you very much. Cheers. It's uh, Nana Manua there giving us some insight into the uh, Manchester City side of things this morning. We didn't talk about um, Obafemi. Yeah. Um, Coming off the bench. The manager tells him, uh, the manager claims he tells him on the sideline, listen, you've had a great week. The fans are chanting your name. You go out there. This is your time. And then, and it's a beautiful little finish. If you haven't seen it, um, dig it out on Twitter. It's exactly the type of near post finish that you want your striker to be able to do. And like, yeah, yes, this is great. He's real. Swansea are an interesting one, just looking at the table. They are, uh, now they're up to sort of ninth or tenth. Like they they were disappointed last season. Um, And when Obafemi came, like Swansea had a really strong Irish connection. Obviously, Ryan Manning, uh, Cyrus Christie was playing there. um, And uh, Obafemi's come in. But you've got to remember, Russell Martin had something of a spat with. Stephen Kenny uh, over the you know the comments in relation to well there are two or three sides to a story uh, and he does he, I spoke to Michael just before he came on I said it's written for you if you really want it the fans are singing for you you've had a great week with Ireland this is the moment this is the time and the funny thing is like it, it sounded like he was kind of given out about the Irish situation but Obafemi actually probably came back from the Ireland camp buzzing because yeah. he's become I mean we've spoken about Ireland but Obafemi's a good player and he's He's not Erling Haaland, but he's the type of player that you could do very well against. But he has these moments in the box. He's very, very quick. And he's full of confidence at the moment. Um, and we don't, he don't does see in the paper today says he reminds him of Michael Owen with the little short hamstrings. Yeah, and he's he's got that kind of pint-sized, like... Little um, short hamstrings. Little short hamstrings. But he's, yeah, he's rare rare bright light, I think, in that uh, Armenia oh, great, game. Oh, yeah. And uh, it'll be, uh, Swansea are very... You know the, the the Premier League is, is is basically over. The Championship is better crack a lot of the time, and Swansea are a very very good team to watch. They're all about possession, Boog. and they have a goal score now. Buig is worried about Nathan Collins, and uh, will the new Wolves manager like the cut of his jib? Well, I mean Nathan Collins is an outstanding player. Um, I, I think Wolves weren't uh, scoring goals at all, and it'll be interesting if Conor Ronan comes in. Nathan Collins is probably the least of our concerns at the moment, but yeah, another managerial sacking. Very interesting. Um, column today from Roddy Collins in the Star where he's talking about um, a friend of his who's working out in China Declan Roach who's an FAI quality uh, credited coach he says that it was a major misstep from Ireland not to put our best under 21 players in the under 21 game to get us to the tournament as opposed to putting them in the Armenia game because the Armenia game was meaningless and then the counter argument was actually if we got relegated it could have been a disaster yeah. we could still end up with a playoff as a result of the Armenia game um, but wouldn't it have been great not to have been in that scenario 
Uh, and yeah, we, we can... shouldn't have been the relegation playoff. Um, well, that, that was the obviously you have Israel bringing in uh, senior players, which um, sort of tipped the balance. I think over the Israel were able to do that, of course, because they were in a three-team group. Russia were were expelled, so yeah. they obviously didn't have anything any meaningful matches. Uh, I think um, Ireland probably sh- Ireland shouldn't have been behind in Tala, and that's kind of where the game was. I know they lost some penalties, but they should have won the game over the two legs and. Uh, uh, I've a lot of sympathy for them and and for Crawford because the the, the under twenty ones was a joke and it's become in fairness since Kenny came into the twenty ones job it's become a bit of a fulcrum man but underages underages is yeah. is, is, is definitely on the up yeah I I do um, think that the whole point of um, players playing is so that they're available get them for, for the, the senior, senior team. team yeah um, and the actual experience of playing in the senior team and having that experience is far more valuable than than playing in an underage tournament like it it just is but just, anyway, just very interesting when it, my after the cow sad passed away I think it was a cow on Saturday um, we spoke about Stephen Kenny and it was like I think he got the narrative wrong after the Armenia game just say we, you know I think he did backtrack a bit he's, he's, uh, yeah, he's so actually said there like, was a Friday press conference separate, yeah, so then, and, and where he I, completely said I, I misspoke I shouldn't yeah. have used the word exceptional I was wrong about that that which, I, which hasn't been reported on that much yeah and I thought that was very very interesting I was not aware of this after Cowgate Right, um, and and by the way, just finally, thank you to Mihal Murphy, Nathan's dad, for collecting me from the train like a surrogate son, bringing me for my hour contribution and the two-hour show, and then dropping me to the fourth afterwards to the gaff, and of course you get a lovely toasted sandwich while you're there. Oh, very nice! Little photos of Nathan on the wall. I was going to ask, what? what how, uh, lots of lots of Nathans. Equal equal Nathan and his sister, or more Nathan? Um, a bit, bit of bit of equal, bit of equal. Um, but obviously the the grandchildren. Him as a footballer, was he? No, 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 no. Him in action. No, nothing like that. Which is telling because me holds a football man. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, we're back tomorrow. Shane Hannan's back in studio. We'll be live with the former Munster hooker Mike Sherry as we start our rugby depth chart. Wexford GA County Chairperson Michal Martin will be on the line to talk about the growing trend of referee abuse in the game and what they're intending and hoping to do with it. The legendary boxing promoter Barry Hearn will also join us, hopefully, to talk to us a bit about uh, Joshua Fury and uh, much more besides. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.